Hey guys, what's up? It is week 169. There is 13 reviews for you, so let's hop right into this. Uh, the first one I'll be covering is from Dark Force Films. Uh, and yeah, this is Deadly Instinct Instincts, aka Breeders. And I, I know what you're thinking, man, is that the Breeders from 1986? And it is most certainly not the Breeders from 1986. This is kind of a remake of the Tim Kincaid movie. I'll have put that on Blu-ray a while back. And I had seen that years back. Tim Kincaid's movies, you know, did lots of kind of strange things like Robot Holocaust and Mutant Hunt. Um, but yeah, so this, this remake of Breeders, I, I thought I had seen it maybe in the 90s on a recorded VHS. Excuse me, my grandfather used to record everything. So I figured I thought, I th I'm pretty sure I saw this one. I had not. Um, so this is 97 and, uh, like this, it feels like a co-production, like American British co-production. There's no special features on the disc, so I couldn't really kind of confirm it, but, um, Okay, first, let me get over the positives on here. I, I think it's pretty ambitious for what it is. I like the concept, like I said, and it's such a weird movie to remake. That's probably why it has, like, alternate names. Maybe it was a remake planned at one point, got changed and back and forth. But I'm not sure what was going on. So, um, I like its ambition. Um, the creature design is great. The monster is freaking awesome. And I do like the the plot of the movie. It, it, like I said, it, it kind of gets really big at the end. And the whole setup and everything. The setup is, I mean, generic. But the whole thing with the, the woman being controlled. So basically the plot is this. There's this uh, school, a college. There's this college professor. And he starts to have a relationship with, like, I think it's an aide. Maybe it's a student. Definitely it's not on the up and up. There's, uh, you know, a dean or whatever. She's kind of a bitchy kind of woman. And there's he's friends. The teacher's also friends with, like, the janitor who's also dating someone in the school so um, they're really kind of breaking a lot of the rules so uh, what happens is there's this kind of a meteor or something that crash lands and and puts a huge hole um, right right in front of the school but was on this meteor is this uh, crazy practical awesome looking alien with razor sharp fangs and this uh woman who was uh previously abducted by the aliens and has like this gnarly scar and is controlled by the aliens can't really control it uh herself so pretty pretty soon what happens is the the um, the creature the alien starts to kind of um abduct all the girls in the area they're all wearing this necklace i, I don't remember how they got it like this court and it somehow is controlled by the alien he starts to turn them into their kind of like zombies so it's up to the teacher and uh the girl his girlfriend or whatever to kind of stop them uh there's this huge uh, elaborate scene that's like something out of chud or alligator where they send all these cops in the sewer or underneath the school to try to stop the whole the whole thing um the main detective on the is a complete douchebag idiot and uh, he, he's nonsense. The teacher in this movie, he's in a slew of movies, but um, either the way he's written or the way he performs, um, he's really stale and really boring. In fact, uh, the dialogue in this movie is, is bottom-of-the-barrel dialogue. It's some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in a movie. It's just very bland, very boring, very eh, and, and you don't really care much about the characters, to be honest. The characters are really kind of poo-poo. It's probably the worst part of the movie is the characters. Um, there is a little bit of nudity here and there in the movie, so that should help some people. Now, now the kills in this one, you're thinking you'd like to see some early kills because you get big, strong, pumpkin-head-style, razor-sharp teeth alien. Um, you want to see him tear people to shreds. He doesn't really do that, but um, I think they use the monster quite a bit. Within the first 10 minutes, I was watching this, and he pops up on screen, and I'm like, so so much for the Corman approach, right? We're just going to show that monster right the fuck away. And, that, and they did. This one, um, it's... It, it it's worth watching if you're a big creature fan. I didn't really enjoy the movie because 
the acting I thought was a little subpar, even though I know that the actors and actresses in the film are in a bunch of stuff. So I, I think it comes down to the writing and possible direction. The movie definitely is a, is a product of its time. It's 97. So it doesn't look that great cleaned up or anything, but it doesn't look horrible either. Like you got to take in consideration. This movie is dirt cheap. It's a, you could tell it's a, it's a very low budget affair. Um, and you see the opening credits and you think, Oh no, this is going to be a CGI cheat fast, but it's mostly practical. I don't remember seeing any digital effects in the movie. And like I said, it, it's, it's really big at the end. It has a lot of characters and everything. It's, it's not for lack of trying why I think it failed. I just don't think that the characters or the dialogue is up to snuff and it, it does hold it back. But most of the time people don't watch these movies for those things. I'm just kind of a weirdo. So cool monster. And, in a, I guess a, a sub, a little subpar uh, sci-fi horror movie that I think some people will think is pretty good, actually. But that is Breeders or Deadly Instincts, 1997 from Dark Force. Um, there's only trailers on the um, edition. I, I would have liked to hear maybe you know a commentary or something like that by somebody involved with the movie that could put some insight on you know the script process or something like that. But see where how this started as a remake of Breeders or what the hell happened, you know? Because I'm sure it has a semi-interesting kind of uh, making of or production. So yeah. I told you it did this to me, and it's not human. An alien predator has discovered the ultimate feeding ground. Earth. You know, it's not every day a meteor hits you alone. It's blood, I think. What am I supposed to do? Let's just leave. Strange blue lights and alien experiments. You saw it too, didn't you? I don't think we're going to find anyone alive down here. Riley? I think we found something. Please. I think he's using these things to control his victims. He uses me. He controls me. It's unstoppable. Insatiable. And giving birth to a new breed of terror. The human race has met its match. Okay, we're going to truck along into the Dark Force releases, and this one is The Giant Spider Invasion. Now, this was made in 1975, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, 1975 for a title like that? That feels like it should be from the 50s, like Tarantula or Black Scorpion or them. And... It really does, or maybe even in the '80s with stuff like Blue Monkey, so like which they also released uh, recently. But so so you, it's like that kind of deal where it's in a really weird spot. Um, the '70s, mid '70s, like Grindhouse stuff, like that kind of deal. So the Giant Spider Invasion. This was originally released by VCI on DVD and Blu-ray, and I never had a chance to watch it. So putting this in, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, it definitely is kind of like a backwoods affair where we have all these uh, this um, and and uh, you know like the small town kind of down south kind of group of people um maybe it's even the uh, southwest exactly but uh right away I, I recognized the sheriff in the movie i was like man that sheriff looks so familiar and he's so goofy and so funny and then i realized it was the skipper from gilligan and i was like i love this i love him he's just goofy and silly so what happens is again some sort of meteor crash lands again with the meteors right um you gotta have the space kind of i i realized as i got older I really love it came from space horror or ideas. It's just something that I've always kind of dug, you know, a monster from another planet or, uh, you know, a threat from another planet you have to deal with. So a meteor crash lands and kind of this struggling, uh, I guess they're cattle farmers or, or you know, uh, 
they're kind of struggling and the relationship is struggling as well this couple crash lands in their backyard and what they find is these weird kind of um i don't remember what they're called they're they're kind of like the, the the thing they find in the gate you know with the you split it have it has the crystals in in uh, the middle they find a bunch of those they break them open and there's a bunch of diamonds in there but it ain't the only thing that's in there they're spiders. So there's a bunch of tarantulas. Um, they're pretty decent size, but this is the giant spider invasion. So there is one giant one that grows to epic proportion. It starts to kind of, you know, torment the town and eat people here and there. And there's some really great stuff um, where, where one of the guys actually is swallowed up by the tarantula and it's this big goofy puppet. But um, I, I I love the hell out of it. It was just really, I know it looks cheap and everything and it's dated effects, but I really like it. It's up to the people from like uh, this guy from NASA because he caught it coming in and this um, other scientist, female scientist in there that to kind of stop the whole thing. They even make a joke in this movie where the NASA guy shows up and he's like, where's the scientist? Is it your husband? And it's like, ah, hardy har. We just talked about tarantula a couple weeks ago and that was definitely a thing like, you can't be a scientist, you're a woman. <laughs> and um, yeah, and watching the special features in here, there's, there's an interview with the director was also an interview with the writer who's one of the main actors in the movie it's like his last recorded interview on the movie he died shortly after r.i.p but he mentions that when he wrote the script he wanted to actually inject some comedy and some parody into it because they realized what they had but the producer of the movie was constantly fighting on him fighting him fighting him at that so it becomes really kind of weird that i felt it was genuine like i never thought this movie was like doesn't this freaking suck while watching it i was like i feel like these guys are actually trying the best they can although it, you know they have some minimal to poor effects i really thought that it wasn't something that was like doesn't this suck or purposely bad on purpose like attack of the killer tomatoes or something like that which is a parody on bad purpose whatever it is but um it's really, it feels earnest. I know that maybe that wasn't even the writer's intent, but the producer and the writer's mixture somehow makes it funny, yet earnest. Um, I just really in, enjoyed the damn thing, to be honest. Um, and, and there's also this part, it's a PG movie, but there's this weird incestuous stuff with, um, he, he's like, uh, the ma the guy who runs the farm is dating this uh, alcoholic woman whose sister's always there, and he's always trying to get with his sister, and that guy's cousin tries to get with his sister. So everybody's trying to get with this poor this poor girl, and at one point she walks out in a, a bath and a towel and you see her breast and I was like 1975 PG is not the you know PG now so um anyways the end the, the tarantula attacks are the giant tarantula attacks a bunch of places and uh, there's tons of footage of people running and getting trampled um, um the dialogue's fun and, and it, it cracks me up a lot of it and uh, I guess it was on purpose so I guess they're aware of how ridiculous the whole thing is but they never it never come across to me like hey we're not trying so that that's an improvement I thought this one looked pretty good especially for a low budget movie from 1975. Um, I enjoyed the feature with uh, the interview with the director and the uh, writer, and it, it was pretty funny, the story that the writer told about the old producer coming back to him, how he got a job as a screenwriter, and he's like, almost laughed in his face, but he's like, oh, this guy's serious, he's not joking, because um, he was such a terrible, um, had such terrible advice on this one. So there's also the director talking about how the spider, they didn't have any money, so they basically used a Volkswagen and covered it up, so I don't know, it's really enjoyable. Uh, it would make a great double feature with tarantula kind of b-movie fun right there so giant spider invasion from dark force uh this one's really fun i really liked it in a small wisconsin town something was about to happen that would send shock waves around the world
came from another world to destroy the Earth. It was the giant spider invasion. Look at that! killing and crippling, creeping, crawling creatures determined to destroy the Earth. Could anything stop them? Could anything stop the giant spider invasion? There has never been a film like this before. Okay, the next one here from Dark Forest. Got a bunch of Dark Forest right off the bat is um, Teenage Hitchhikers. So I had actually never seen this movie. It's from the 70s. Um, you know, I, I didn't know. I, it was kind of put always as like a sexploitation comedy to me. So I, I never really focused on it. But putting this in, I was actually really pleasantly surprised with this movie. And it was one of my favorites of the week. So um, it stars one of the girls. Uh, I can't remember which one. It's it, You know her right away from Last House on the Left. This is like the only other movie she did, which is kind of a shame because you know i think that they both are very memorable for completely different reasons but we have these two young girls hitchhikers that i think are supposed to be probably you know teenagers um definitely underage so it automatically makes it a little bit um obvious uh, makes it um, definitely not something that would fly today so these two girls uh basically it's one of these kind of like sexploitation adventure movies where all they encounter a bunch of weird people and they have sex a lot and, and all sorts of things so um the first people they meet is this like band and there there's a bunch of like kind of hippies and free love and they 
try to get him to sleep with them and they they're not into it they get kicked out and from that moment on they decide that they're going to try to kind of get revenge on all the people and everybody so screw them we're out for ourselves so they start to kind of do these little bit of robberies you know seduce people and take advantage of them so a bunch of weird hijinks ensue they meet up with another girl who is even younger and she's she she and her boyfriend were having some you know problems at, at losing their virginity so she was very upset and she ran away so these three are pretty much the main characters throughout the movie but um, there's this really weird plot point in the film that I thought was definitely worth discussing where there's uh this this cop tells him earlier there's a crazy rapist on the loose so you're like okay that's some obvious foreshadowing so so what happens is they meet this rapist and it's all played for laughs and i i you know right away rape and comedy is just like this really doesn't belong together uh, or it can be very offensive to certain people and it's not like a rape scene like Hanny Calder where you have Struther Martin outside banging on the door like let me try once and it's like isn't this funny <laughs> rape um, no it's one of these things where the whole tone of the movie is different and they basically what I loved about it is they have this rapist who's like oh he's big and bad and evil and they start to bel belittle him like they actually rescue the the one girl from him as versus how it kind of I, I believe is my understanding. So um, they actually start to belittle this guy and he starts to feel inadequate and he's like, wait, I don't understand. Maybe you guys could teach me how to do this right. And it's just really funny. And it, it's just such a great way to make disarm this guy mentally and I think that it is a little bit progressive for the early 70s so uh, I thought that that was worth mentioning and discussing um, also on the movie like I said it starts to get more you know sexual there's big orgy in here and, and it's just like free love kind of thing there's characters that play multiple characters like in com comedic characters like one guy they screw over twice and he's two different characters he works at a shop and they kind of just use it they rip his credit card and buy a bunch of clothes with it one one guy is like this uh, sleazy car salesman and he comes back as like an over the top homosexual character but um, anyways I, I really enjoyed this one I thought it was you know cute and uh, sleazy as hell of course so um but it, it, like i said for subject matter it shouldn't use the terms cute like you really shouldn't but somehow it is like i liked all the characters i i always sided with the the three female leads i, I always liked them um like i said it is sleazy and there, there's like a, a lesbian encounter tons of sex but um very enjoyable and very fun and a lot more lighthearted than one would think when you have an exploitation movie entitled Teenage Hitchhikers. On the disc, there's an interview with um, the director. He's very old, and um, he's being interviewed by the guy who runs Dark Force, I think Demon. And, uh, you know, he he seems like he seems pretty like he's very old at the time. He's not senile or anything, but, you know, he, he has probably, you know, some he's slower at talking and everything like that. But it's good to have his uh, input on the movie. Um, this one looks really good. This one probably looks the best of the Dark Force releases that I've seen. It's really cleaned up and um, it was probably preserved very well. But um, I really like this one. Good stuff. Hey, Mouse, we haven't any money. Use your head. My head doesn't have anything to do with this. I keep telling you, in this economy, boobs and butts are legal tender. Now, come on. Hey, kid. Where's the action around here, huh? Action? Yeah. Can I help you? What'd you have in mind? I mean, would you like to eat? I love to eat. Well, how about a hot dog? Oh, honey, one hot dog just isn't enough. 
It'd take a whole salami to satisfy me. Oh, well, I'm afraid I'm a little short on salami today. I bet we could change that situation. I'll have cheese Okay, the next one is completely ridiculous. It's um, directed by Joe D'Amato, if I'm not mistaken. And this is Ettor, the Fighting Eagle. You know, a sword and sandal movie, a uh, fantasy uh, movie from Italy. And there's actually four of these. There's Ettor, the Fighting Eagle. Ettor 2, um, Blade Master, or the Invincible, I think. And then part three, the Iron Master. And then part four, um, the, the the Hobgoblin or something. So there's like four of these movies. And I was like, I had never seen any of these. So I put this in. It stars Miles O'Keefe. Um, who else is in here? I, I'm going to cheat because Laura Gemsher was in here. That's the one that surprised me. But also Dakar is in here. You guys remember Dakar from... And while I was watching it, like this is heavily inspired by Conan. I was like, who can we get? Who's who's in Italy that can replace James Earl Jones? Well, who do we got? It's like, we got no one that fits that type. It's like, what about Dakar? We got Dakar. It's like... Put him in there. He's going to have to do. So if you guys don't know him, he's in Zombie and Zombie Holocaust, are the two titles I remember him from. So when I seen him as, like, the evil baddie, I was like, this is pretty hilarious that they're replacing him with, like, the type, the big evil kind of villain type. But uh, also Ed, Edmund Purdom, Purdom is in this movie. Um, you know, he's in a bunch of cheesy uh, movies like Don't Open Till Christmas and Pieces and Absurd by Joe Diamato. So, yeah, okay. The opening of this movie is a bunch of narration, and it sounds awesome. I was like, I was pumped. It was like, there will be a time. And it's showing all these like glaciers and mountains. It's like, where the Dark King will rule. And it's like 10 minutes. And it, it basically um, info dumps everything to you. And they bring it up a couple times. So Miles O'Keefe basically is the son of this guy who was supposed to overthrow somebody, but he fails. And a volcano will erupt when the Dark King's uh, you know reign is coming to an end. So Ator and his little like bear cub, he, he's basically like thrown into a family at one point where he's like family is dead and he's like put up for adoption it has to be live on this whole camp infiltrate you know i mean basically just live here so nobody knows that he's at tour because they would kill him otherwise so um when he comes a certain age and he wants to basically marry his sister i don't i don't know what the hell's going on with that um and he can't he's really bummed out then his parents are like no you were adopted you can marry your sister and they're like yes yes this is awesome so basically um what happens though is his sister is kidnapped by evil forces dakar so he has to go after them and stop them and he has a little bear cub that falls him around the whole time which is really cute and half the movie miles O'Keefe doesn't really do anything like he, he just stands there ripped and chiseled while everybody else fights his battles including like this amazon woman and all these other people he doesn't fight as much as you would think but uh, they run into all sorts of, uh, you know, trouble and, and the fight scenes are shot really close up and, and really not very well choreographed. Let's be honest. Um, it is a low budget movie, but uh, it's OK. And the ending also has a giant spider come in, which I loved because why the hell not? We just had the giant spider invasion, too. And these like sword and sandal movies always got to have something like that. And I was I was into it. There is a twist, of course, um, but it's cheesy. There's lots of information dumps and everything. It's not the greatest movie ever made, but it'll it'll satisfy you a bit and um you know i would recommend something like conquest over this the the faulty movie or conan the barbarian or sword and the sorcerer but there isn't that many great um sword and the sorcerer or fantasy movies to be honest so this one had three sequels that's got to say something but joe diabato can make a movie for 10 cents but anyways uh this one looked okay it's definitely not their best print best remaster but um it's not horrible and i'm sure it looks better than any you know the old dvd from scorpion so uh yeah it's ator the fighting eagle check it out and lo the kingdom of the spider shall last 1000 years and the people shall suffer 
1,000 years, for it is written. And this time shall be known as the Age of Darkness, for the shadow of the spider shall be the law. Then out of the darkness, the prophecy relives. To him is born a son. An even mightier warrior they will call Ator. Great Eagle will shed tears of blood. Rattor will cast light upon the darkness. I know more about you than you know yourself. We must prevent the prophecy from being fulfilled! Okay, the last Dark Force of this week is Yeti, Giant of the 20th Century. This is another Italian movie, and I had never seen this one. I didn't really know much about this movie. I was just like, Yeti movie, and it's definitely heavily inspired by King Kong. You'd say it's pretty much kind of a remake, an Italian remake of King Kong. So basically what happens is a bunch of these people are, are I don't know what they're doing in, their, in the snow, probably some sort of scientist, archaeologist, I don't know what the hell they're doing. But they find this frozen Yeti, and this Yeti is freaking huge, man, this Yeti is huge. So they, um, they bring the Yeti out, and then for no apparent reason, they're like, we're going to try to de-thaw the Yeti. And we're going to make this big giant spectacle of it. We're going to defrost, we're going to defrost this Yeti in front of a bunch of people because it's still alive. And I'm just like, what, whose idea is this? Like, I know you're trying to make money. You're doing the whole King Kong or Jaws thing. We're like, we don't care if it's dangerous. But like, what? So anyways, the way they um, defrost this Yeti is they fly him up into high altitudes or something like that. Or, or bring him down in a plane. He's in a cage. So he starts to on-thaw. And... Um, Basically, he breaks out and some bad things happen. There's a couple young kids that were involved with originally, you know, excavating him or getting him out of the, the, the place. And he starts to kind of like look at them as his family and he starts to take care of them. Um, but this kind of causes turmoil between, you know, the businessman that wants him on display and some crooked other people that are, you know, doing double dealings and everything like that. I got to say that this is this Yeti has the best plumage I've ever seen. He has like this big, slick hair, giant hair, 80s hair, even though it's like, I think just a 70s movie but his hair is ridiculous this yeti is actually played by a guy and they do these kind of weird focused things where it's not like a monster he's just like it's a guy dressed in like a yeti suit they do this weird focused kind of deal where like they'll have a uh, forced perspective and like back screens and everything like that but at points there is like a giant kind of arm or leg that they'll throw in there too 
This movie is super cheesy. Um, like I said, it, it, it's like Hong, King Kong, but it's also more along the lines of Harry and the Hendersons, which was much later. But it has that lighthearted family feel to it. Like, it is kind of a family movie at the same time. Like, you watch this with your family, and, you know, the Yeti's the good guy. Although he does kill a couple baddies. It's not gratuitous or anything like that. It is a, a bit overlong. Like, you're thinking, okay, let's get this over. It's like an hour and 40 minutes, and you're like, I feel like we've already been through this a couple times already, but um, there, there's some goofy stuff. Like, I, I mean, this is definitely the kind of movie that people would put a riff track to and laugh at. I thought it was okay. You know, I mean, it, it's very cheesy. There's very funny moments of the Yeti with the plumage and stuff like that. There's a cool elevator scene. Um, and, I, like, every time I think of this movie, I just think of the Yeti's hair and, like, him, like, like eye-fucking the camera looking at it constantly, but... Um, this one's remastered decently. I think it looks all right. Um, again, this movie is very low budget, 70s, you know, uh, Italian movie. Sometimes those don't look the best, um, or they're not taken care of, or they, you know, you don't get the best master for it. But I thought this one looked solid, probably looked better than it ever will. But the movie's absolutely ridiculous. I think that a lot of people will get some enjoyment out of it because it's so silly. But um, that is Yeti, the what is the full name? Giant of the 20th century. And he's basically a giant. He's way bigger than any Yeti. Biggest Yeti I've ever seen. Der Schneemensch kommt. Der Gigant des 20. Jahrhunderts. Ein Riese, der die Welt in Angst und Schrecken versetzt. Berühmter Fotograf entdeckte riesige Fußspuren in der Arktis. Von Yeti, dem Schneemenschen. Wie durch ein Wunder war dieses Ungeheuer während Tausenden von Jahren im ewigen Eis konserviert. Was die Wissenschaft bis heute nicht schaffte, gelangt der Natur. Yeti wurde wieder zum Leben erweckt. Stadt, ein ganzes Land in Panik. Yeti, der Schneemensch, kommt. Film, 
der ihnen das Blut in den Adern gerinnen lässt. Yeti, der Schneemensch kommt. Ein Film, den Sie nicht versäumen dürfen. Demnächst in diesem Theater. Okay, this next one is from Honored Films, and this is What the Waters Left Behind. And this is by the same guys that did uh, Francesca, which um, was the kind of Neo Giallo, which I thought was pretty good, actually, that Unearth put out. So What the Waters Left Behind, um, this has a great setup. It has some really great atmosphere and a really good location. That's what I think the main positives for, for it are. It does have some brutal moments, some torture kind of stuff. It feels very torture pornish. So some people may dig that kind of style too. I think it, you know, this movie probably was made a couple years ago and finally got a release here. So it feels already very dated in that kind of way. That kind of gore and that the brutality and extremity, how it, it's how it's portrayed in the movie. It feels dated. It feels like five years ago or so. So, okay, the basic plot of this movie is there was this um and it's it's supposedly a true story. I can't think of the country exactly, if it's South America for sure, but what happened was maybe it's Argentina, there was a small town or village that, not town, it's, it's like a city, this small little city, that got completely flooded. Um, everybody lost everything. The The tombs were basically, um, you know, everything was thrown out and the cemeteries and all the bodies floated up and people were taking advantage of other people, trying to rescue their, their dead family members and stuff like that. So a bunch of crazy things happened. It flooded, it was abandoned, and it's been kind of a wasteland ever since. Uh, what, what this is is basically a film crew wants to take somebody that used to live there as a young child back to the area and document how they felt and what they remember and film the whole area and make this little documentary film. The people that are doing it are like the directors, kind of an older asshole dating a young girl, a legit fuckboy who's just like, I don't even know what his job is to do, but you know, he's just there to, he just seems like one of those guys that's just going to be screwing around. Um, and then a couple other people, yeah, a couple other people that really don't stand out very much to me, but uh, there's also somebody there that's kind of scoping the areas and, and you realize pretty soon what they're looking for. And I thought that character was kind of the most interesting because they throw you a curveball with them. You're like, oh, this guy's in on it, but then it, it kind of switches it up. And I like seeing that. So um, those are some of the positives. Um, the, the, the negative really is that it's just essentially a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. And it's not a comedy or anything like something like Motel Hell that's playing on it or something that's a little bit different like Blood Salvage. This legitimately is just a semi-remake and you have this family there that, um, and you also have like the camera where they'll do like, because it's a documentary, you'll get that found footage kind of angle or whatever. So basically it's just a bunch of backwoods kind of guys that they bump into at a gas station and they're still living here and they never left. Um, Hills have eyes, text chains, all like I said. And um, they start to kill and pick them off. Um, they're, they start to you know molest and cut everybody up to pieces. It's gory. It's a uh, very uh, torture pornish. Um, when it comes to the bad guys, I think the filmmakers are in love with the characters a little too much. I think that they should have killed more of them. I, maybe they're hoping for a sequel, and I, I do feel like that's a little bit, but they, they do exactly beat for fucking beat Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like down to the dinner scene, where I'm just like, you should deviate a little bit. Why do the same thing? We, and maybe in um, South America, it's not as known. Maybe it was always banned or something, and maybe it's just, I, I doubt it, but maybe it's just something a little bit more refreshing for them. But when it comes to America, I'd, I'd rather just watch uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, to be honest. So I really don't understand that the, the point of this uh, movie, to be honest. But if you're looking for like a really great location, it's there, and a really great concept. Like, 
I wish that they would have taken the concept and location and done something maybe a little bit different with it. Like, instead of just making a Texas Chainsaw kind of clone. Because the idea of this town being completely washed away is genius. I, I love that. So, I think that's freaking awesome. But, I think that the special effects are good when they're there. I think the acting's decent. Um, the characters are blah. Uh, I, I don't love them. But, uh, like I said, this had a lot of potential, but it just falls a little flat because it becomes, you know... Something that I've already seen that's way better. I mean, it's just hard to do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre any better than you, it is, right? So um, if people are going to look for some brutality and gore, they'll, they'll get what they're looking for. If people are going to look for a good location, they'll get what they're looking for. If people want a bunch of drone shots, which, you know, it's so weird. Back in the day, like when I first started seeing drone shots, it's like this levels the game on independent filmmaking because you can get those professional shots. But now when I see like 20 or 30 in the same movie, I'm like, they're overusing this. And then I automatically think it's low budget. I know it's so weird how it works like that. There's not really many features on there. I think there was like a short making of. Yeah, the, there's some film footage from it, um, some making of. But um, I, I'm just a little lukewarm on it. I don't think it's a bad movie or anything. But some people really dig this. Um, it's not really for me. Okay, this next one here is from Arrow Video from 1989, and this is Black Rainbow, starring Rosetta Arquette, Jason Robards, and Tom Holch. Um, Tom Holch, really, pretty much the first thing I'm like, oh, Amadeus, that's Amadeus, you know, that's Mozart. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. Is it Mozart? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, right away, like, that's the first thing I noticed. I was like, man, I don't think I've ever seen him in another movie besides Amadeus. I love Jason Robards. Jason Robards is is one of the best, you know. What can you say? Something Wicked This Way Comes, The Ballad of Cable Ho, Just at Once Upon a Time in the West. Just a great actor. And Rosetta Arquette, you know, um, one of the Arquettes. Uh, she's in uh, Pulp Fiction. So I never heard of this movie in my life, which is really weird. Mike Hodges, he did some other... I believe he did on Flash Gordon. So I'm like, how do I not know what this is? So how did I not know what Black Rainbow was? Um, 
I must admit, I did not get a chance to listen to special features, which is blasphemy because Kat Ellinger did a commentary. I'll definitely listen to that later down the line. I feel bad about it. Sometimes you get so pre doing so many reviews and everything, yet you don't get the dive into the features and you do a half ass job. I'm going to apologize because that's a half ass job. Um, but this movie, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, this is a very beautiful looking movie. It's not one of these things where, like, I, I just, um, let me get to the plot, I guess. We have, um, it opens up with kind of like a, um, a story where Tom Holch is approaching, uh, he's looking for this woman, and uh, uh, he basically finds her, or and he's like, um, you haven't spoken, she hasn't spoken since her father died, and he says that, so right away we set this thing up where we know that she's lost her father, and then we kind of jump back in time. So it's uh, Rosetta Arquette and Jason Robards are this traveling kind of, uh, I don't want to say sideshow because it's a little bit more professional or elevated than that, but uh, all intents and purposes, it is kind of that. Um, they basically are scamming audience or so you think that um, she kind of predicts things about them and talks to the dead, talks to the other side, kind of like that Jonathan Edwards type deal where she'll, she'll say, I, is somebody in the crowd related to a Toby? And somebody will stand up and say, you know, and she'll act like she's communicating with them. But lo and behold, she actually is. Jason Robards really never buys it. He's like, at one point he did, or he doesn't want to accept it because it, it directly ties in with his wife who's passed and, and there's some supernatural elements there. So Jason Robards is drunk. Um, he's kind of abusive. Um, Rosetta Arquette's also mean. So they're kind of very mean to each other. But uh, they don't have a very good relationship, but they seem to love each other. So um, one day, um, Rosetta Arquette um, basically has a, I guess it's a premonition. She has somebody on stage and, um, the reveal is genius. She, um, says you're Tom and, and thinks it's her talking about her dad that's passed. And it comes to find out he's talking about her husband. And she's like, my husband's not dead yet. And she says, I know the man who did it, who's, who does it like murder. And I can recognize him. And it goes through this whole thing. Well, lo and behold, later that night, her husband is actually murdered, but it's a hit. And he was going to testify against this big corporation for doing a bunch of legal activities. So there's a hitman involved. So basically after that, they start to go after Rosette Arquette and Jason Robards. Well, her, because she can identify him. Tom Holch is a news reporter that gets caught up in the act and starts a relationship with Arquette. So it makes things complicated and he's trying to save her from this hitman because he knows everything that's going on too and, and everything. But there's these real beautiful moments where... They go to these towns and, you know, at one point they're, they're loving her. But then when she starts to tell the truth or she has this premonition and points all these horrible things that are going to happen, it becomes terrifying. And it reminds me a little bit of the Mothman prophecies, but much better than that movie. Like how, you know, you get pointed that, you know, premonition of a disaster, but you can't really, you don't believe it or you can't do anything about it. So that, uh, that whole thing happens and it's just, um, devastating without spoiling too much, but, um, I really like this. I like how everything's set up. Um, there's this one uh, moment in the movie where they tell they're telling you what's about to happen, and they're and then you don't realize it until it's too late. Well, I didn't, and it's very obvious once you figure it out. And I was like, oh no, oh no, and I got like chills up my back, and I was just like, that's very good filmmaking. Um, like I said, the acting's top notch. The colors are top notch. Like it's not one of these movies. It's not like a Dario movie where it's like bright Argento, where it's brightly lit and everything's you know hyper realistic. I guess is the term maybe. I don't know, but it's very unreal but it's just ultra like bright and crazy and oh and, and everything i just mean the use of color and and the camera work and stuff is just so well done like the the composition it's just it's a great looking movie the re this is probably one of the best looking movies i've seen arrow put out like it, it's that good looking like i was very impressed with it and also probably was very impressed with the movie because 
I never had heard of it. Like maybe in passing, I was like Black Rain, but whatever. Or I would think maybe Black Rain or something like that or Purple Rain when I heard it. But it's just, it's something that I never really heard about or anyone talk about. So um, this is very, very impressive, very unique. Um, make statements on religion and the supernatural aspects are, are different too. And the ending is haunting. It, it's just a great movie. I would highly recommend checking out Black Rainbow. It's just, uh, it's top notch. It's kind of a masterpiece for me. You know, it, it's one of the best movies I've seen for the first time this year. Please give a very, very warm welcome to Martha Travis, the courier to your loved ones. She was the only witness to a brutal murder. I saw it! I saw it! All of it! Jerron died exactly as she predicted. How do you account for that? She saw the gunman hired to kill him. She knows what he looks like. She even knows his name. And she saw it all. Now a reporter is trying to save her. You don't seem to understand, sir. It's possible that your daughter is in real danger. From an assassin determined to kill her. Does Martha have any friends? Only in the spirit world. Rosanna Arquette. So you think I'm a charlatan? Jason Robots. You were with me in St. Louis, remember? Hundreds of miles away. You couldn't have appeared to her. And Tom Holtz. I need to know who killed Kuran. Okay, the next one here is uh, Bloodstone, and this movie is nonsense. This is like a co-production. I believe Nico Macarakis produced it. It's directed by Dwight Little, who did Halloween 4 and some other stuff. And uh, who who stars in this one? Really, really, this movie kind of has people that I don't really recognize, except the one character actor who plays kind of the, the guy like smuggling the ruby. So um, this is like an Indian-American co-production. Or maybe it's Greece. I don't, I don't know. But it definitely seems to have money from the UK and, and India. Um, this movie is nonsense. It's like an action-adventure, you know, farcical thing. It's very fun. Um, I, I enjoyed myself actually watching this. So what we have here is we have these two Americans on vacation in India. But they're semi-on vacation honeymoon. But they're also going there to start like um, the husband is going to work on his wife's father's business and be a part of that. So he's an ex-cop. But right away they run into this guy on a train and he's a sleazy kind of guy and somehow it's brought up that this ruby was stolen and it's obvious that he took it and he's supposed to deliver it to this big kind of um, this evil, um, is he like Dutch or something that's living in the country, uh, this guy. So this guy will do anything to get this ruby. Something goes wrong at uh, customs. There's like police officers. There's this over-the-top ridiculous uh, uh, um, investigator, a guy, whatever, this uh, chief or whatever, looking for the ruby too, who's always like outrageous. And he's just like over-the-top as hell, has his catchphrase. He literally sounds exactly like that. <laughs> um, but he's after the ruby, of course. So this guy drops it in the bag of the Americans. So that, uh, that it complicates things. Their cab driver, who is like this big star in India, 
like action hero kind of guy gets involved because the ruby falls out in his his trunk. So everybody's involved. Everybody's after the ruby. The guy's wife gets kidnapped and it's up to them to exchange for the ruby. The cab driver and the American ex-cop team up and they must fight a bunch of cheap goons and uh, comedy and ridiculousness ensues. The movie is silly and goofy at times and funny, but also there are stakes. People get killed. People get shot. You know, um, there's, you know, people are at danger. At the end, it kind of erupts into this giant ridiculous battle between like three or four, two or three groups. Um, and it's enjoyable. The action's good. It's funny. The dialogue's solid. The acting's decent for the most part. I really like the Indian um, cab driver guy he you know he's really fun uh the comedy is nonsense and it's very dated you know what i mean like especially for some of the characters like the inspector who's like outrageous like that guy is so dated and so ridiculous but uh, very much a product of his time and 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 like I, I caught myself laughing and enjoying myself this is something that i think a lot of people will enjoy to be honest like it's cute it's fun it's just silly like and it's a movie that i really hadn't heard about like i know nico makarakis directed movies but this one was one he produced i had not really heard about it um i'm trying to get to some of the special features i actually did watch there is um an interview with nico that's what i remember that's what i wanted to point out because nico always does his own stuff but he did um Basically, he talks. His rundowns are always great because he's so honest. He couldn't hire a camera or anything, so this sounds a little rough because this was all the special features were. I, this one, at least, was shot during the COVID, which is still going on, of course. So, like, it was very kind of uh, I don't want to say minimalistic, but it was some, somewhat to a extent. So he, he basically talks about the movie and getting the actors and actresses all together and everything like that and the financing. Um, he's very blunt, very honest, very intelligent. Um, always like his stuff. Um, and then there's also kind of like a um, little documentary about. Um, um, the lead Indian guy and his career in India and how he was this big action hero. So this one looks really good. Sounds good. Um, like I said, it also shot in a, a nice locations and everything. And, you know, it's just a fun adventure movie. And I had not heard anybody bring this up again. Arrow releasing these kind of, um, uh, I would say, I don't want to say they're obscure because I feel like people have seen, obviously, Black Rainbow, but some stuff that missed my radar. And I, I'm very happy to check them out, of course. So that's Bloodstone. Cool stuff. The Stone of Blood. Bloodstone. Seems like a neat job. Done right under Scotland Yard's nose. The legendary ruby should be returned to India. This can be a profitable partnership. Someone kidnapped my wife. Van Hoven is the one you want. He's wanted the ruby his whole life. What do you want? A simple exchange, your treasure for mine. Van Hoven gets the ruby, I get my wife. And we both get the hell out of India. No problem. I love a man who can give me a good fight.
When you're faced with a problem, get in and get the hell out. Okay, uh, the next one from Arrow Video is Zombie for Sale. This is a South Korean uh, comedy horror, I'd say, first. So basically what happens here, this movie's a big family, kind of. Uh, in fact, on the disc, there's this special little thing that says family in peril kind of deal about the South Korean movies, how it talks about Parasite and ho the host and all these kind of deal that this is kind of a subgenre in that country, you know, that we have this big family in peril kind of deal. This one is definitely a comedy horror. So in the beginning, I can't remember if it's uh, mentioning like diabetes medicine testing and something like experiments. Um, this, this medicine's been recalled for things. So that's Essentially what happens is we have this this zombie escape. Uh, he looks like a young guy, like almost like a like a teen heartthrob kind of guy with his hair and everything, like from like a, a J-pop band or something like that. But he's a zombie, so he's very pale and everything. So he ex and his eyes are dead. So he escapes from this medical facility. He ends up wandering into this small town, and he becomes kind of almost uh, kidnapped or not kidnapped, but basically not held hostage either because he's a zombie. But basically held down by this family. Um, this family consists of the, the mom is dead, but there's a father who's older. He's kind of a schemer, always trying to get, you know, cheap, cheating cards and that kind of deal. And then there is a, um, a son who's married to a woman who's pregnant, who's very mean. Um, and these two are also schemers that work at a gas station. You know, they'll throw like cars down, pop people's tires and then overcharge them to fix it, stuff like that. And then there's a, um, a young sister, of course, and another brother who is kind of from the big city who just got fired who's coming in he's a kind of outrageous kind of guy outrageous from last, <laughs> last review sorry i know if you just watched this one has no idea what i'm talking about but regardless um this this whole movie is about family dynamics and everything like that so they d definitely seem um very at each other's throats or not really um getting along perfectly and they're sleazy and you you don't really care for them at first but after about 10 minutes i'm like you know what i enjoy all these people i like the small town too it's kind of you kind of understand who these characters are and who they are like and how they work and everything a bunch of old people always playing cards every day so what happens is the old man the father gets bit by this zombie when he gets in a fight with him and uh and with right away you think oh no he's going to turn into a zombie and he's going to go bite all those other old guys but this turns the um kind of uh zombie genre on its head a little bit and i know a lot of people will be saying well that's been done a million times and it's kind of hard to come up with something new to do with zombies so this one does a couple new things um so instead of turning into a rotting corpse and going around biting people the old man ends up getting young and he gets healthier. And his, his dream was always to go to Hawaii. So he's like, hmm. So he comes by and uh, a couple of his old friends are like, what's going on? One of the old guys is getting married. So he wants to look young and great. So <laughs> almost right away, he's like being like the, uh, you know, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he takes advantage of things when he shouldn't. That he is, he decides to, I'm going to have everyone get bit by this zombie. Um, so they can get young as well. So there's this big line of old guys that are getting bit by the zombie and he's charging them. So everybody's been bit by the zombie. Everybody gets young. And meanwhile, the the youngest daughter is starting to have an infatuation with the zombie and starting to like him and everything like that and start a relationship with him. <laughs> and I have not seen Warm Bodies, but maybe people would compare something that this to Warm but I don't know. The, definitely the uh, you know cute zombie and the girl falling in love with the cute zombie kind of deal. 
So I'm not really sure. Or, you know, but romantic zombie movies have been done before. Um, zombie Lover, of course, from Monsters and uh, My Boyfriend's Back. So the and Fido even has some things like that. So th there's things like that been done before. But regardless, so there is going to be a twist. Uh, you don't you have to pay for things, you know, nothing comes for free. So everybody that was bit starts to have side effects later down the line. I'll leave it at that, but, you know, we get your kind of typical zombie story of them being trapped in a gas station. Lots of, you know, lighthearted stuff where people would be dead, people would be ripped apart, but, you know, it's a family kind of almost friendly movie. You know, it's a little violent and stuff, but it's lighthearted. So it's not as gratuitous as one would think, especially when it comes to people being killed and everything. It's not that type of movie. So, um, and it has an overly happy um, ending, of course, um, you know, like like uh, Rose Tinted Glasses ending, to be honest. But uh, it, it's enjoyable. I, I caught myself laughing a couple times. I like that they turn the genre on its head a little bit. And um, uh, they do something that was some a cool part in Land of the Dead, how they use fireworks to distract the zombies, uh, sky flowers. They do that in this one, too. And I was like, I wonder if that's a shout out to George Romero's Land of the Dead. Which I think uh, eventually will get more appreciation because it deserves it. I think Land of the Dead's always been a good movie, and I think eventually it'll be considered possibly a great movie. But um, I like the the sky flowers kind of deal thing they do with the fireworks. But it's fun. The characters are well established and they're goofy, and um, I enjoyed myself. You know, um, just a very good family kind of a family coming together to fight zombie movie, and it's very cutesy. So zombie for sale, good stuff. Okay, I'm going to be very brief with this one. This is the wild, wild world of Jane Mansfield. Um, and on the features, I'll get over those first. There's a, um, uh, like a colorized, like a, um, um, a VHS version, which is a more, cause this print has been kind of messed up over time. So it's kind of drained to color the, there's a color, a better color version, but it's a VHS print of it. So that's a special feature. There's a whole nother additional movie on there, like the wild Italian kind of Mondo movie. And then there's a little small interview with uh, Jane Mansfield expert where she talks about how he had a she had a relationship with Anton LaVey from the church of Satanists and some other things about her family. So, um, Jane Mansfield was kind of like a sex pinup kind of deal from like the 50s and 60s. She died in 1967 um, while kind of making this movie um, in a tragic car accident, which took one of her ex-husband's lives and her lawyer and injured her kids that were in the car too, but they survived. I don't really know much about Jane's Mansfield, to be honest, except the little bit I just told you there. And then later she was married to Matt Clymer, who is like an exploitation kind of director, did Candy Tangerine Man. So that's all I know. 
Um, like I already stated what I feel about Mondo movies in the last, um, last week. I'm not a huge fan, but, um, I kind of appreciate this one a little bit more. So, uh, it's definitely the altered footage, but James Mansfield's actually kind of going about it. It feels like B-roll completed too. So my understanding is in 67, when she died, they kind of like dubbed her voice with an impersonator to finish up the movie and tacked on this really grotesque ending, which, which is a complete like mood change where I was like, what the fuck? Because I, I really didn't know the history very well. And it came out of that. I was like, this is weird and depressing. It just very poor taste. Um, but what this whole movie is, is basically she's going around the country and kind of exploring these weird different, you know, I guess people would be culture shock things for these modern movies. So she'll go in and see like uh, topless dancers uh, competing and, and dressing up in strange ways. She'll see, you know, um, transvestites at the time or cross-dressers or whatever, and kind of like uh, make comments and snarky comments and things like, oh, that's crazy, um, and stuff like that. It's kind of cutesy, kind of goofy, and then of course they have her in there too, kind of like half-naked and talking about her Playboy thing, and at first I honestly was like, is this all fake? Like, this is not her at all talking, and then from my understanding is it was her actually like narrating to a certain point, but she died during it, so they went and completed it anyways. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's a very strange kind of movie, and the idea using like a uh, uh, kind of a celebrity to do these Mondo movies. Like we had the gimmick with, um, uh, Boris Karloff on the Mondo Bellardo or Lardo or whatever. Uh, so there's a gimmick in this one, but this one's a little bit different because the person actually partakes in it, which I thought was kind of interesting. But at the same time, I think it's easier to watch and I think it's more interesting than the Mondo Bellaro because we're seeing like, I guess, these different kind of underground clubs of, you know, like gay clubs at the time and everything. So I guess that could appeal to some people and seeing all these different places in the countries. But again, it's a Mondo movie, so a lot of it's bullshit. So how much is it actually worth? Um, is misinformation information at all? I don't know. Is it even misinformation? That's the problem with the Mondo movies to me. I can't trust anything I'm seeing. So, and and you shouldn't. But uh, yeah, if you're interested in this one, if you're a big Jane Mansfield fan, I think maybe you'd be interested in it, but you also probably get very disgusted by it at the same time. So that's the wild world of Jane Mansfield from Severn Films. So yeah. It's uninhibited. It's unforgettable. It's unbelievable. It's the Mondo Mansfield story. It's Jane's tour of the jet-set capitals of the world. It's wacky. It's way out. It's the wild, wild world of Jane Mansfield. Hi, I'm Jane Mansfield. I want you to share some of the wild, way-out experiences I had during my last trip around the world. But what a trip with scenes never before shown on the screen. You'll see some of the wildest nightclub acts in Paris. But when tragedy struck, it changed the ending of her movie career. You'll enjoy Jane Mansfield and Mickey Hargitay in the wild, wild world of Jane Mansfield. Jane sees all, tells all, shows all in the fun-filled movie of the year. Don't miss the wild, wild world of Jane Mansfield. Okay, this next one is for Verboden Video or Lo-Fi uh, Video, and this is Slashdance from the late uh, 80s here. Um, I had never seen Slashdance, and I didn't even know this got a DVD release. I was super excited. Um, actually, the guy contacted me and said, would you like to review this? And um, I was like, I didn't know I had a DVD release. And he was like, yeah, we'll send you over one. Um, so, yeah, I was very happy to get this one to review, to be honest. Uh, Slashdance. 
Uh, it's a title that I've always heard about. It, the cover always stuck out to me. It's the same director of Hollywood News, Hollywood's New Blood, which isn't very good. I'm going to be honest. That movie is uh, it has its charm, I guess. Some of the music I remember sticking in my head, but it's not a great movie. And I remember it kind of being like a very poor Hills Have Eyes uh, ripoff. So this one, um, I think it was shot on maybe 16 millimeter, edited on video. So unfortunately, the best quality you're going to get is a video master. But this one looked really good. I, I was very surprised how clean it looked because I've seen a lot of so-called movies from video masters and the best quality, and they don't look great. This one looked very clean um, for for the elements they had. So I was impressed with the quality of it. Um, this movie is nonsense. I listened to some of the commentary because I was like, I wonder how this director was approaching this movie. Was he like, we'll make it kind of a comedic effort or what? But this guy is very um, serious and, and seems to um, not think this movie has any, he's not, he's not mentioning the comedy. And there definitely is comedy, which makes me, which I originally thought it was, is unintentional comedy, which makes this movie way more entertaining that way, to be honest. So Jay Richardson is in this movie. If you guys know him from a couple weeks ago, Teenage Exorcist, he plays the very funny guy in the glasses. He plays the police chief in this movie. Hilarious asshole. So this movie follows, it's almost more of a police procedural than a slasher movie, to be honest. I know a lot of people would be expecting a slasher movie. Um, there's plenty of dancing, though, so for the dance part, it's definitely in there. Not so much slashing, plenty of dancing, and a lot of police procedural. So we have this undercover cop who's kind of a renegade undercover cop. She kind of breaks the rules and beats up people when she shouldn't. There's a hilarious scene in the very beginning where this guy tries to flash her and he does this little rhyme which is hilarious i'm i'm built like a rock now let me show you my cock or something like that and i was just like oh geez um and then she ends up kind of like busting these guys these uh two like uh, big women who are selling her steroids and and a fight scene ensues but um she's haunted because um her family had some uh, a trouble then due to bad uh, a drug overdose or something like that so there's this constant narration or not even narration like this her, her inner monologue going off about the past where it's like i'm sorry we didn't, we didn't know how your mother got the razor blade. And I know it's supposed to be played straight. And, and it is straight. It's not like purposely being stupid. But I started laughing out loud because it's just so ridiculous. And it's like in a, it's in like LA too. So like, or, or the area. So you see all these like locations and everything. It's very much that kind of movie too location movie but um that kind of stuff had me laughing out loud and maybe it's i have a very sick sense of humor so a lot of people might just be like oh that's sad but it was just like i was laughing I, I was just cracking up but anyway she has to infiltrate this kind of dance troupe because people that are going out for auditions are being murdered including this one dolly parton like lady who's just like i felt kind of bad for her because she's having she's she's having so much fun while she's on screen and then when she gets killed i'm like ah oh, that's sad so basically this person's killing these people that are auditioning um this, the the kind of main suspects are like these two brothers that their father died. Uh, he used to run like this kind of big kind of theater or whatever, and he died, and they're running it now. And one of them's completely batshit crazy, and the other one's an asshole. So you're like, it's gonna be one of them. It's kind of like the red herrings of the of the group, but you know. It is what it is. So basically she infiltrates them, starts a relationship with one of the guys in there, um, the director actually, and then there's like 
at least 15 to 20 minutes of this hour and like 25 minute movie of them like actually having this dance like where they're doing these dancing these five girls in like bikinis and stuff or not bikinis leotards or whatever they are I, I don't know clothing so um apparently uh so basically they're just this dance and I've seen this dance like you see it like 45 times this is a perfect movie to, again to watch with a group of friends and enjoy yourself um like I said on here there's a commentary and there's also like a, a trailer like a comedic trailer that's cut like slash dance in three minutes or five minutes or something like that so um this one is enjoyable um I think it's better than Hollywood's Newsblood. I think you'll get a lot of laughs out of this one. Um, I like the premise, you know. The cover art would suggest this is going to be a sleaze fest, tons of nudity. And there is sleaze, you know, lots of girls and scantily clad. But it's there's no real nudity in the movie. Um, and there's no gratuitous uh, violence or anything. Not like people getting their heads or arms chopped off. Jay Richardson's funny. He's an asshole. He does that very well. Um, he's in a bunch of stuff. Look him up. Uh, yeah, but I, I think this one's pretty enjoyable. I look forward to checking out more of their releases. Um, they also put out the the Split, which is on Blu-ray, which is a very unique, different movie that um, if, even how I'm not a hugest fan of it, but it's just like one of those movies. That's like, yeah, but you got to see it. You got to see it. It's so weird and different. This is going to be some people will love it. It'll be like some people's favorite movie so that's that kind of thing but um slash dance yeah it's ridiculous and you'll love it for it or you'll hate it for it i'm not quite sure amos have you been screwing around with the props again Are we screwing around again? No! <laughs> he says we're not screwing around again. <laughs> you scared her off. We didn't scare her off. That was an audition. <laughs> this is my new casting director. See? Listen, Amos. We must put this show on to keep the doors open. Now, since Dad's gone... Yes, Brother Oliver. We need the money. We're sorry. You know, if Logan hadn't offered to come back and help, we wouldn't stand a chance in hell. Hell, Logan, the big time director comes slumming. Are we thrilled? <laughs> we can hardly wait. For the last time, Amos, quit messing around. This dump's reputation is already strange enough. You heard that, naughty boy? Idiot! Yes, can I help you? Do you want something? Where have you been? You writing a book on my life. Do you always sweat so much when you work? If you don't mind, I'm busy. Someone tried to attack Holly. Well, the way you girls shake your bodies all day. What do you expect? Were you backstage? More research for the book? Actually, it's none of your damn business. What's going on? She's trying to screw me. Oh. Sex. For a bigger part of the show. Seriously, Logan, Holly was being attacked. Yeah, I know. I helped her to the car. Amos. What the hell happened at the meeting with Oliver? Nothing. What do you mean, nothing? How come I'm never invited to those goddamn fancy-ass meetings? <laughs> 
Okay, we're going to do one from 91 or a run through 91 here. And this is one title I have. And I do have like this budget set that has like six movies on it. And this is Blood Massacre by the man, Don Doler. I think this was originally made in like 87, but not released till 91. Um, you guys know Don Doler. He did um, Alien uh, Factor, The Fiend, um, what else? Night Beast, um, Galaxy Invader, which was 1985, which I thought was probably one of his last movies. But I forgot about Blood Massacre. I had seen Blood Massacre before. It had been a long time. This one, I believe the ma the, the stuff is lost. I, I know I inquired about a Blu-ray or something of this one because I think it's pretty cool, but I think that um, it's kind of lost um, to a certain extent. I do have a budget DVD of it um, on that set, but I didn't bother to dig it out. Uh, so, yeah, just watched it on the computer or online, actually, on my TV. But, uh, yeah, like I said, this never had a really nice release. Uh, Blood Massacre. This uh, actually stars George Stover, who's in all of Don Dollar's movies. And this is probably George Stover's finest performance. Um, he's really good in this, and it's something completely different for George Stover and Don Dollar. Now, Don Dollar's movies always have like that 50s style aspect and a very fun kind of like um, throwback to the 50s. This is his most mean-spirited movie. This is his most gratuitous. This is the most language in it. I mean, and it's probably the most mean-spirited. It's his darkest movie, and it feels kind of weird for Don Dolor to do. There's a couple other familiar faces from Dolor movies. The guy who plays the dad in Galaxy Invaders, the drunk dad, also plays a dad in this one. Um, and I like the setup here. So George Stover and his one of his friends are both Vietnam vets, but they're also criminals. Um, and along with, um, not Stover, but not Rizzo. His name is uh, Charlie Rizzo in this movie. You know he's a good character if I remember his full name, and I've only seen the movie twice. But um, his Vietnam buddy has a, has a kid brother and his girlfriend tag along. They're criminals. They decide to rob a video store why a video store with a bunch of people in it they mention it's dumb but they do it anyways somebody gets killed they're on the run um they're constantly bickering and fighting and hate each other kind of reminds me of something like rabid dogs by uh, mario bava of course not a, not as caliber as a mario bava movie okay but uh they're fighting and bickering and they end up stopping in this farmhouse they kidnap this girl who leads them who's on her way home and they lead her, she leads them back to her parents farmhouse where they have a family of four including her and um Basically, the criminals are like, you guys got to shut up and do what we tell you. Rizzo is constantly causing problems. George Stover, he's very violent and he's not right. And he even has some moments where he's breaking down with his buddy. And he's just like, you don't have to be here right now. You're uncle. You could have went and worked for your uncle. You could be a, you could be somebody important now. He's like, I could be dead now. He's like, your uncle didn't want me. He said I was crazy. So he obviously has these mental issues. And in the very beginning, he actually is seems to be a serial killer of sorts. They show him murdering a couple. After a bar fight, very, very, can't, very aggressive and crazy. So, essentially, they, they're in this farmhouse, and you think it's going to be kind of a hold-up movie, but uh, it's one of these deals where there's a switch, and the people in the farmhouse are not who they seem. So, uh, bodies start to pile up, and there's this great twist in the movie where George Stover's like, fuck this, I'm going to get back of these, and he starts setting up these booby traps like Rambo, because he's a Vietnam vet, right? But um, to his horror... These people are not normal people. And that's where another... I, I'm sorry I spoiled it, but I, I know I shouldn't be spoiling it this much, because, but I feel like this movie has not really... A lot of people aren't going to be directed to this low-budget Don Dollar movie unless I kind of give you guys something to look into. So... I, I really like this movie. It is very low budget. The picture quality is shit because it has never been remastered. It's only on VHS. But... This is a really good movie for a, a low-budget um, movie, and it's different. And there's gratuitous gore effects towards the end. Um, there's some sleaze, no, although no nudity, but there's some psychological issues going on. Um, they do some hints at what these people are and stuff. I like it. 
I think it's a cool movie. I think it's a little bit underappreciated in his uh, filmography. And I think I've watched all his older movies now um, from, like I said, Alien Factor, um, Night Beast, The Fiend, uh, Galaxy Invader, and Blood Blood um, Massacre. I, I like Don Dolor. I, I just, you know, it's very regional filmmaking. And uh, George Dover's really good in this one. One of his best performances, if not his best performance. Uh, and it's nice to see him get to do something a little bit different. Because they're always like, George Dover, you know, like, let's make him like the assistant to the scientist or the scientist or somebody like that. And when you give him something different, like, no, you're going to be a villain. You're going to be a serial killer crazy person. He's really good in it. And seeing him cuss was a little like, I was like, man, I don't remember him cussing that much. But he's just like, shut the fuck up. And I was like, whoa, George Stover doesn't sound like you but it fits like I, I think he did a good job but anyways uh, even the the farmer in this like the older farmer and on galaxy invader he played like the guy with the hole in his shirt who's just so over the top of ridiculous he's he's a little bit more re reserved in this one the acting's pulled back in this one you know i know some people will watch this and be like why are you hyping this up man this is a little budget this is i like it i think it's special for in don dollar's filmography and i think it's good for what it is and i like that kind of stuff so yeah that's blood massacre and the cover's awesome through the vhs cover but yeah Hey guys, what's up? It's time for Blind Spot. Oh. <laughs> uh, we don't have anything for that. No. We don't have an intro. We don't got nothing. We, we don't need nothing. it. Anyways, this week, we, we did some uh, moving around because this came out six weeks earlier and it's on Jeremy's list. He had never seen Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, a.k.a. Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, a.k.a. Breakfast at Manchester Morgue or some shit, a.k.a. Don't Open the Window. What Too many a.k.a. names. The a.k.a. The book was like a Spanish name. Oh, yeah, yes. I'm not doing that. But uh, this is one of my personal favorite movies, and I kind of was like, Jeremy, you, you got to do The Living Death of Manchester. I was kind of coaxed him into it. Um, this is from 74. The director is Spanish, Jorge, uh, Jorge Grau. He did some other movies, um, Legend of Blood Castle. Uh, geez. And um, there's one that I've always wanted to watch called Hunting Ground, a.k.a. Code of Hunting, uh, which I think is like a rape-revenge kind of movie. Uh, never really released here. But the crew... And a lot of the actors and stuff are a mixture, you know, how they did the European. But the crew mostly is, is Italian. So Giannetti De Rossi does the special effects. He'd go on to do Zombie, Cannibal Holocaust, all the big ones. He, he's pretty infamous. One of the most, probably the most infamous Italian special effects guy. Mm -hmm. um, the editor would go on to do all of a bunch of Fulci's movies and a bunch of other big ones. Um, 
so so the whole like crew and everybody is Italian. So really, this is kind of an Italian. They consider it mostly an Italian just because the main director is is Spanish. I always called the Spanish, but it's mostly considered Italian. Well, then like it's shot in the UK. I think yes. all the actors are either American no. or English. No, there are either some Spanish blokes. There's there's Italians. The lead our female is Italian. She's in a bunch of stuff. She's wanted to do Solange and Ray Lovelock is Italian. He's in a tons of stuff. The Ruggiero Diodata movie Live Like a Cop Die Like a Man, Almost Human by Umberto Lenzi. So it's filled with all these kind of guys like that. So He's it's Ray Lovelock. The main guy. George. I thought he was. You thought he said he was American. No, um, so this, Arthur Kennedy is the American. Arthur Kennedy, Arthur Kennedy who plays uh, what is his name? He he's the best part of the whole movie. He plays an Irishman. So are are these people dubbed then? Because I um, I couldn't tell that they were dubbed. Do you know how it works in in these Euro movies, yeah. especially in Italian movies? Everybody speaks the language they have, um, they know on set, mm. and then they go dub them over. This time, actually, the only um, person that that was a, a speaking English is really English was Arthur Kennedy, and he dubbed his own voiceover. Oh, okay. So that's why it's such a brilliant performance. The plot of this movie, it was made in 74. Um, Night of the Living Dead really didn't take off until 1970 in Europe. Um, there was a producer that really wanted to make a kind of Night of the Living Dead in color. Jorge Grau really wasn't kind of like a cash-in director or a journeyman director, even though some of my favorite directors are that, but he was not that. He was more of a kind of like he wanted to do his own thing. Mm-hmm. So he really kind of didn't want to do this. But he eventually did do it, and... Um, he made it his own. Now, it is kind of a, a rip-off of Night of Living Dead to a certain extent, but there's a lot of different things going on. There's a lot of stuff that resonates and is relevant today. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, this is one of my favorite movies. I saw it at a very young age, um, and I adore it. From the score, the creepy score, the setup, mm-hmm. the beautiful English countryside, the cinematography, and the oh, the wonderfully fascist uh, Arthur Kennedy police inspector role. So... Uh, Basically, it's two strangers that somehow get in a car accident and they end up having to drive across uh, Manchester, or this area is not actually Manchester, in kind of the countryside together and they get all brought into this big zombie thing. Yes. That, um, yeah. So, did you like the movie? I, did, I, okay. I feel I like I not. could tell you were thinking it was slow. And yeah. I told you it was a slow movie, and it takes a little while to get started. But this grows on you. Trust me. The first time you see it, first time I saw it, I was 13, I fell asleep. I will never watch it again. But that's Bullshit. not to say it's a bad movie. Bullshit. You're just wrong. Okay. No, I'm not wrong. Okay. It's a, it's, it's a good movie. It's. I'd rather watch Night of the Living Dead. I'd mm. rather watch a lot of other movies than this. I wanted to watch... Forbidden Planet, because that's what we were supposed to do this week. But no, but I want it because the Synapse sent it six weeks early, the Steelbook, and it's beautiful. Um, so, so I was already in, in a mood, all right? Cause... Well, I had to watch Quidon before I watched M, and it's all mixed up now because we had to push Flash Gordon back because I'm not watching Flash Gordon and then watching the 4K of Flash Gordon two weeks later because I'm going to have to watch that. But um, no, it, it wasn't a bad movie. It was actually pretty good. Um but zombie movies are just kind of zombie movies. And, no. and I, I just feel like if you're not Romero, why are you even trying? I'm going to be brutally honest with you here. Mm-hmm. I am a huge zombie, uh, I would say aficionado. It's definitely my favorite subgenre. Yeah. I'm obsessed with them. I've been obsessed with them since I was 10 years old. And this lays at the number six spot of the best zombie movies ever made for me. In really? no particular order, you got Night, Dawn, Day, Return, Zombie. Maybe, and that's that's uh, six right there, right? No, no. 
And then this is number six or Cemetery Man. And I don't know. I, I th Those are my seven favorite zombie movies. And then I would honestly put like the Night Living Dead remake in there. I adore that movie. So then we have that. And then maybe Dead Alive. Because although Dead Alive, I love it. It doesn't hold up like these movies. Dead Alive needs to move up to. No. Yes. You rewatch Dead Alive. It's not I'll, as good I'll as the other ones. This movie has great atmosphere. Yeah. Um, the first corpse you see, um, the, the, the guy who drowned, it's so beautiful. Like it's almost like a ghost story when he comes out and he's dripping in water and the, the, the soundtrack, you hear it, but it's also mixed with the breathing of the zombies who Jorge Grau did that because there's an old interview on one of the DVDs. He mentioned that when his father was dying, that he was propped up with pillows and they removed the pillows behind his back and he was already dead, but all the oxygen escaped mm -hmm. his lungs and did. <laughs> so he added that in as part of the soundtrack. And it, it's so cool that. You hear the zombies making those sounds, but it's also the soundtrack. And I know he was doing like trying to do like a Bill Heinzman, like when you first see him. Mm -hmm. But I think his shambling and looking over and you see his eyes, it's, it's way more effective than the initial uh, scene because it has the beautiful location, it has the crick, and they set up so much story with that first zombie, who he was, and everything like that. No, I mean it. It is a good movie. Um, it does, I think, take a while for the zombies to get. To get present because a lot of it is really that police procedural um <laughs> with arthur kennedy with arthur <laughs> kennedy and, and like everybody in this movie makes the exact wrong decision at the exact wrong time but the two leads don't they're stuck in the situation where they're absolutely screwed they cannot leave they can't so leave they're fucked arthur mm -hmm. kennedy is the one who constantly makes the mistakes and right. a lot of the other cops like craig who you feel bad for yeah it's just that, that craig. craig craig is right that. um he makes some dumb decisions and these zombies aren't like your Night of Living Dead zombies, no. where they're like kind of like weak. They're fucking strong. They're scary. And uh, they pointed out, and there's two commentaries on this, which I listened to, one by Troy Harworth and one by Bruce Holchek and uh, Nathaniel, I can't think he does for Mondo Digital. And I like both the um, commentaries quite a bit. Um, they mentioned that the blood, when he takes the blood from the living, the, the body, yeah. and he dips it, he touches it, and then he touches the corpse. He's like, mm -hmm. that's some warped sense of Catholicism. Oh. oh, and it is too. You know what I mean? Like, and he brings the corpses back to life. That, that it's just a little different. Like when you got those zombie movies in between night and dawn, you don't get your typical, you know, Romero ripoffs. You get these kind of. It is a Romero kind of ripoff, but you get these different, unique qualities like that. Oh, yeah. And, and like you get the child. You get lots of weird shit that I actually adore. Like Messiah of Evil. These zombie movies are some of the more original ones that, you know, and I love the ripoffs of the, the ones, the Romero's and then the ones that ripped off. I mean, most of them are my top ones are those, but right. these ones have a special uniqueness and like scary Gothic atmosphere to them. Well, the, I, I think the, the one thing I really like is it's not like, Oh man's the real monster. Like a lot of zombies divulge. Well, one is, um, the, well, in this one, well, one man is a monster. Well, are you talking about, um, Arthur Kennedy? Yeah. Kennedy? I mean, he's doing his job. I wouldn't say that he's like. It's not like it is an all the other zombies are like they're hoarding resources or like we gotta get the women. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, it's it's like it's like no, you killed this man because he doesn't know that he zombies doesn't know. are real. He's a fascist, but right. at the same time, like he thinks he's doing the right thing. He's right. older. I mean, obviously, there's a divide in the generation right, here because the one guy's a hippie. Although he's not really even a hippie. He just well, has a long hair. You know yeah. what I mean? Um in reality, George and um, Edna are assholes in the very beginning. They're both oh, yeah. very dislikable, but for some reason over the movie, through the things they go through and they bond, you end up liking them and you care about yeah. them. Which it, it, They're in a very stressful situation, so you can understand why they're kind of rude at, at mm -hmm. points. Like The three main characters in this movie are all fairly rude. 
Yeah. But uh, like I said, I just really like it. I like the storyline. Um, you know, with uh, there's ob- obviously an environmental thing going on here because what brings the zombies back is completely different. And it's something that uh, it's supposed to drive insects mad so they can have better apples. I'm just mad about apples. <laughs> that fucking guy. But uh, but really what it does is it, it brings the recently dead back to life in the radius and it causes like nervous systems on maybe simpler things Life like forms young to... children stuff like that um you know and it kind of follows that the whole night thing where like it might have been that satellite that yeah set something off and this is similar and and i hate when movies put this horrible noxious sound effect in them I and like it, it permeates i like i'll leave the room well obviously you know what that's for that's hey, supposed i know to i show. know what it's there yeah yeah but it's it's like I'll give you 30 seconds to get your point across. If this scene goes on longer than 30 seconds, this noise, I'm done. But but you don't understand, like, that stuff directly affects you. Like, if they, like, Gaspar Noe would use the sound effects to actively drive you mad, right. like the characters are going in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the ending's great. It's such a downer ending. But oh, yeah. It, you get your just desserts, too, at the end, and I, I love it. But some of the dialogue that Arthur Kennedy says in this, like, everybody who's ever talked about this movie has had to bring up the lines. He says, you, you, <laughs> I know your type with your long hair and your faggot clothes, or <laughs> I wish the dead did come back to life, you son of a bitch, so I could kill you again. You're just like, jeez. I mean, he's really good in this movie. He <laughs> He's the shining star in this movie. He's great. He really is. And um, he, he has... um. When I watched um, The Tough Ones, which came out a couple years after this, I think that's an Umberto Lenzi, uh, Polizio Tetsi with like Tom, Thomas Milan and what the Merley guy. I, I never really was big on that guy. So, but uh, he's in that and he's like a police chief. And I noticed how much he was shaking. Like I was like, is that like early Parkinson's or something? And I never noticed in this movie for all the years of watching it that, but he's a little shaky in this one too. Mm-hmm. I think it might be some sort of form of uh, Parkinson's, but Maybe. he's really good in it. And I think he just maybe, you know, he's like a little shaky. Like, I don't know. Maybe that because he, he was one of these actors that went over to, you know, um, Italy and was, you know, kind of washed up at the time. But tons right. of these guys did it. And they, I've always enjoyed seeing him pop up in these movies. But he, he's tremendous in it. Um, it's got a relatively high kill count for like such a like almost zombie contained zombie movie. It's very contained. I mean, the zombies really only show up one in the beginning and then. Well, there's in, the crypt scene, sense. which is the has crypt. a lot of good suspense. Right. And you got to have your zombies in a, a cemetery crypt. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how they use the headstones. I love, um, you know, it's gory, too. They show people ripped to pieces. The effects oh, yeah. for 1974, like, this made the video nasties list. Uh, <coughs> and probably rightfully so for 1974. This is probably one of the goriest movies I've seen for that time. It, it probably is the goriest for 74. Like, And I'm not probably. talking about Herschel Gordon Lewis fucking cow eyeballs and ketchup and shit these effects actually look really good they, and, they do and the blood is not dated um the blood looks better than dawn of the dead but that was purposely the blood is more like the style of day of the dead it's dark and uh and and the people get ripped apart in the very ending mm-hmm. like that is super gratuitous like and actually uncalled for i would say yeah that's pushing the buttons that's just like you know what let's see how far we can get away with something right here i mean i enjoy it because i'm a i'm a sicko but like honestly, if like you were watching this, you're like mom or dad or somebody be like as a young or like younger person be watching it, and they'd be completely like in, on board. Like this is a little gory, little little right. messed up with some of this stuff. But then when they get to that scene, they'd be like, like okay, we gotta shut this off. That's too much. Um, when did the last Hammer movie come out? I can't remember. Oh, I would be seventy six. I would say 76. the last horror movie, Hammer horror movie. I think yeah. to the Devil a Daughter. 
So um, this is far gorier than anything that Hammer oh, forgot. Yeah, Hammer would I mean, touch. Well, this one actually, like I said, um, they they tell a nice, interesting story on that Troy Hogarth commentary. Uh, maybe it's Bruce Holchek's commentary. These two commentaries. They tell this story about Jorge Grau going and having this story about um, doing it, wanting to do Elizabeth Bathory, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Countess Dracula, and brought it to Hammer, and they were like, eh, no, no, and then they went and made theirs. Right. So they basically fucked him. And then, like, the, he, they screwed this guy. Like, literally, he ended up getting to make his version, though. But, I, I you know, I actually like the Countess Dracula from Hammer with um, Ingrid Pitt. I, I love that, but I'm still mad that they dubbed her. Yeah, it was dumb. Because they should have just... Because, I mean, she yeah. was in um, the other vampire, vampire one, and she Lovers. was fantastic. I, I, maybe they dubbed her in that, too. I'm not maybe, sure. Maybe, yeah. But, uh, like I said, the music's great, too. Mm-hmm. This composer didn't do as much as he should have done. The ending's great. The scenery's... You get the hospital... Um, hospital horror is actually really a great um, where, way to end your movie, like in a hospital, because if people are getting hurt, people, I mean, it makes sense to be there. And well, the Beyond also has that huge, big kind of thing in a hospital at the well, end. Well, so did um, The Exorcist 3. Most yeah, of it yeah. was in the hospital. A hospital um, is, a, is a great place for a horror movie. I know scary. Halloween 2's got it and uh, tons of stuff. Um, a hospital massacre for all you mm-hmm. fans of that one. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a masterpiece. And I think that, honestly, if you were to sell it, younger or you would see it again like maybe five years from now you'd be like oh like because you'd be prepared for the opening like honestly it has like these stuff from like british horror it feels like a hammer movie at times it feels very italian it feels very spanish it, it does feels, it's a perfect mixture of euro horror if somebody yeah, asked me what european. euro horror was mm-hmm. this is the one this is one of the ones i'd be like why don't you check out um let's leave the corpses lie i think that's a good mixture of multiple countries like co-production thing and it, i thought the uh the locations they felt a lot like um the ones in um straw dog yeah straw dogs it's, like yeah. i would almost argue that it might be the same yeah city town well, but, straw dogs was you know. 71 71 this one probably was shot this shot multiple places i think and made it to look like one area, yeah. But, um, I would you know, imagine it's it's a great looking movie. Mm-hmm. Synapse cleaned it up. It looked fantastic. This is 1974, mind you. It looks the, good. The opening of the movie um, was a little different this time. I'm always been familiar with the Let's Sleep Corpses Lie opening. This one is the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it, it does this weird thing where I don't remember this. I've seen this movie like probably like ten times, where they do this weird swirl with uh, the hobo guy in there, and I was, like, I was like, "That's not right." Remember that? I was like, that, "That's that's not right." Like that's right. a little weird. But uh, like I said, this resonates though with the environmental stuff, with the fascist police officers, mm-hmm. with um, the the streaking and protest, and people walking around the street wearing masks. It just, I mean, great movies don't ever age poorly. Like, right. I know I shouldn't say that, because I love some movies that age poorly. Um, but this one has not aged poorly at all. No, it's, I think I think it holds up pretty well. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a big fan, but it's a good movie, and it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah. Um, do we give our ratings, or do we go to the book ratings first? Um, um, unfortunately, this isn't in John Stanley's Creature Features. He needs to, to get on, uh, you know, about that. But honestly... This is Tear on Tape. Uh, yeah. It has so many alternate titles. I looked at the four of the ones I knew, and it wasn't there, mm-hmm. so I doubt it is there. This is Tear on Tape. Um, it's usually done out of four stars. So, what's... so Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. Egas is three out of four. All right, here we go. This is a cut version of Spanish director Grau's underrated shot in Britain, Night of the Living Dead, Cashin. Non si se profane o son de morte let sleeping corpses lie. First released in the U.S. as Don't Open the Window. 
An experimental sound wave machine is being used to fight an insect infestation in rural England accidentally revised the recently deceased as flesh-lusting ghouls. Although most of their subsequent mayhem is blamed by boneheaded Irish cop Kennedy on counterculture types Lovelock and Galbo. Growl Brintley contrasts with lushly green English countryside with the gory activities of the Walking Dead. Of the two most infamous scenes involving a disemboweled policeman and a nurse whose breast is torn off have been eliminated from this print. It's an unsettling use of stereophonic sound, giving this an impact few of the innumerable post-Dawn of the Dead zombie flicks would attain, a.k.a. Breakfast at Manchester Morgue. Um, so he, he mentions the sound, too. Yeah. Um, and and, and that's it. just me. I don't think my insect brain can actually handle <laughs> any... Like, you're like... Remember the... Uh... Like, it's like comparison. Like you said, your insect brain is like Prince of Darkness. Like when he comes in, like he, he, <laughs> this is so, I, people don't ever register. Like, why did the homeless people get taken over? He's like, cause they're saying that their brains are Great. simple or different wavelengths than regular people. So them and the insects, cause they don't <laughs> think like other people, their brain waves are altered. Maybe that of a schizophrenic would be altered. I, I probably very offensive to some people or schizophrenics, but a, it's a horror movie from 1987. What do you want? Yeah. Um, but like I said, that that kind of has that element too of that some things are affected and others are not. Uh, mm-hmm. I love this movie; it's one of my favorites. It's probably in my top twenty favorite horror movies ever made. Um, uh, it's always funny because like the it's not the best horror movie in nineteen seventy four either. No, what else is there? There's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, no, if you're gonna I, pull this up to Texas Chainsaw. No, I, I I mean it would be, and then there's another great one too from '74, Death Dream, Bob Clark's Death Dream, which I absolutely adore. So that, to me, there's three perfect horror movies from '74. That's a very strong year on there. Is and then, Bob Clark the guy that does the New Year show? No, that's a uh, Dick Clark. Fuck Dick. Dick Clark's dead. Bob Barker. Bob Bar- Bar- Bob Clark's also dead. Bob Barker did uh, the fucking uh, Price Is Right. Oh. Now get on with your rating. Oh, okay. Um, what's yours? Mine's a ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Love it. It's one of my favorite movies. Oh. Three and a half out of five. Bullshit. Damn. Watch bullshit. Three, yeah, I mean, it's good. You should watch it. <laughs> I mean, I like I said, I think that there's ever zombies I'd rather watch. I, th- I think, leave a comment. Boo this man. Boo this man. <laughs> we're supposed to watch Forbidden Planet That's why starring Anne Francis. You can't get over it. I can't get over it. I We're supposed not to watch one of those Rocky Horror Picture Show musical things that you pick based on a song. Now we gotta watch whatever next week pick his is. And Diabolique. Like, and this was technically his big his pick too, because I didn't even really want to put it down on the list. I wanted to put down like I don't know. Oh, um, that War and Peace movie. That's, tra- that's not a horror movie. Tarantula oh. Two or something. Tarantula <laughs> Two. <laughs> What would its little baby I could have fit them on it, or they, or whatever. Tarantula 2, I will bite you? I don't know. Uh, Tarantula 2, Bug Boy. That's what we would have went. Yeah. Anyways, it's a classic. Watch it. Um, I know people are like, zombies suck. It's like zombies are, I mean, some of the best horror movies ever made are zombie movies. We no, all and this is a good movie. You really should watch it. I know my ratings are low, but uh, I mean... But it's, it's not, not low. It's not a reflect... Yeah, it's not It's it's, it's not low, but it, it's not a reflect of how much I dislike the movie. Because I did not dislike the movie. I really like the movie. I just don't know if it necessarily has the same hit that some of the Romero zombies of have. Of course it me. doesn't. George Romero zombie movies are the best movies ever made. The first three. They're the best horror movies ever made to yeah. me. And Return. And Return because and it plays Alive. on... Uh, no, Dead Alive's not as good as this movie. Objectively, it's not as good as this movie. Which yet. one's Dead Alive? There's a lot more. 
That's my mother you're pissing on. Yeah. I mean, I love that a lot. That looked like a properly maintained vantage to you. <laughs> no, that a is a fantastic movie, and I quote that I movie it. daily. <laughs> in any but context. they use it in the blood of virgins. I, <laughs> I haven't I, had I, a good custard in yet. <laughs> we're not talking about Dead Alive here. We are. That's our next week. I probably pick. still would end up giving Dead Alive. We've both seen Dead Alive like 30 times. I probably would. <laughs> Dead Alive is probably like a three and a half out of five, but I'd be like four and a half. Five. I probably might give it a five. <laughs> but... Um, Let's leave of course, lie is objectively better. Plus, Probably. Plus, Meet the Feebles is better in Dead Alive. I've never seen Meet the Feebles. Uh, see, we could have put Meet the Feebles <laughs> on this. But instead nope, of... you wanted to put 37 sci-fi movies that were in a song instead. There were only like... Half of mine are Criterion <laughs> picks. Half of yours are, are sci-fi movies that the B-pitchers. To be fair, you said that you never really watched 50 Science. Yeah, so I'm glad movies. you picked those because so I did yeah. watch a lot of 50 Science. I watched most of the Universal War movies. Right. And, but now we're going to see all the good ones, such as Master of the World starring Vincent Price. Or is it Conqueror of the World? It's Monster, Master of the World, but he isn't a Conqueror Worm, a.k.a. Witchfinder yes. General. Have you seen that one? I have seen that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. we actually watched it. But Master of the World has Charlie Bronson in it, too, and that's the second movie they were in together. They were also oh, really? in... Oh, um, I believe he's in that. Right? I think he is in that because they were in House of Wax together. I'm kind of excited for that, actually. Because yeah. I tried watching on YouTube one time, like, years ago. I have the Blu-ray. But this was years ago. And, okay. like, the only version of I could find on YouTube, it was, like, a quarter screen, like, zoomed in. They do that so they don't get hit with all the yeah. copyright Yeah, but shows. then, like, as opposed to speeding the film up, they, like, slowed it down. So I was like, okay, I'm not wa- taking longer to watch this inferior version. I'll just you wait. You could until... literally just hear Vincent Price and Charlie Bronson in slow motion. Yeah. That would be weird. They already talk so strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, Vincent. Listen here, bud. <laughs> All right. Well, we're out of here. All right. Bye. Sergeant, if Christ and saints are out of fashion. Satan's all the rage these days. Listen, boy, you keep getting on my nerves, and I'm going to give you another kind of house to look after, one with lots of bars in the windows. we better reinforce that door. Take the lamp. I can just imagine the sergeant's face when he finds out message for you. Look, I know it sounds silly, but is it possible? I mean, could a film fail to catch an image for any reason? Well, a ghost, maybe.
Okay, let's start with these questions. We have Nick Mua. Could you recommend some good historical horror movies? I think we both saw The Devils. I heard that Bloody Judge featuring Christopher Lee and Mark of the Devil are good. Would you ever? Okay. So um, I would recommend uh, checking out The Witchfinder General with uh, Vincent Price and Mark of the Devil. That's a good one. I never watched The Bloody Judge. There's some other ones that I'm sure come to mind. Uh, now, there's movies that are period pieces that aren't historically accurate, I imagine. But um, Brotherhood Wolf has some stuff that could is kind of historical. But, you know, it's obviously kind of fake. So based on certain events, I would say, but, um, if you're, if you're going in that line, like something, go watch Mark of the Devil with Herbert Lom and the Witchfinder General with Vincent Price. Those are both very good ones, um, in line with what you seem to be looking for. So then we had, would you ever watch a movie you starred in where your voice was dubbed? Maybe for comedy purposes, but, um, if I was like, I don't know, uh, it might be funny to be honest, but I don't think I would ever be like, watch it seriously. Like, Hmm. I might be interested to see how they handle dubbing now. It depends what country. It depends what, what the movie was, too. Um, music can make or break a movie. Which movie score do you find almost unbearable, even though you enjoy the film itself? For me, that's Lady Hawk. What were you thinking, Richard Donna, using the electric uh, music? Oh, jeez. Ah, oh, I wish I would have read that one earlier. Um, there's some movies that are made because of their score. There's some movies that I feel like would be better with a great score. So... A lot of the superhero movies, none of their scores stand out, and I think that they would be much better with a memorable score. Because when you think of your like, um, adventure or action movies as a kid, when you had like RoboCop or Terminator or stuff or Indiana Jones, those scores are always so memorable. I haven't seen Indiana Jones in 20 years. Um, so I would say that the Marvel movies, really, a lot of those suffer from a lack of a good score. And I know some people really like them, but I just they never stood out to me. I never got into them. Um, or memorable score, I should say. Now, I'm trying to think of a movie where I was like, this score is terrible. Um, ah, geez. There's some movies where it's all they just keep redoing the same song over and over again. But, uh, no. So then we have some answers. Um, I asked what your favorite Polizio Tetsis were. David Leather, The World's Greatest Sinner, starring Timothy Carey, is an excellent crime film. Nick Pu'amua, Polizzi Films I Dig, Revolver, Who Can Say No to Superb Acting Shops of Oliver Reed, and Music of Ennio Morricone, I Sure as Hell Can't, Mr. Scarface, Scheming Amongst a Mob, I Love It, uh, Almost Felt This One Had a Shakespearean Element to It, also Jack Palance, Need I Say More, Lastly, Violent City, um, Taking the Law in His Own Hands May Be Wrong, But Watching uh, Murley Do It with ver Verb, Such Sure Is Fun. And then we have Travis Wright, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man is fun. I haven't seen many of Polizia Tetsi films, but I watched a few because of the awesome titles. I'll see, also, Pokemon Snap was a great film last week. So uh, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man is a cool one. Also, I do love uh, Revolver is a great one. And then we have Duncan McLeish. He put a gif of Gary Ullman from The Professional saying everyone. Um, so uh, apparently he's a fan. Lee Jones, kind of a cheat, but Blazing Magnums is amusing and has the greatest stunt-based car chase in film history, a.k.a. Shadows in an Empty Room, if I'm not mistaken. Bruce Holchek, first ten that pop into my head that I love, A Violent Protection, Revolver, The Tough Ones, No Way Out, Milan Caliber 9, The Italian Connection, Big Racket, High Crime, Violent City. Then we have Faith Botwin, Contraband. It's a Fulci, of course. Cody Lee Harden, Gotti, which Revolta. Go fuck yourself, Cody. Derek B, Revolver, Contraband, and La Scorda. Oh, and of course, the Heroin Busters. David Luton, now we're talking. Almost Human, Milan Caliber 9, The Big Racket, The Italian Connection, Execution Squad, to name a few. Matt Brown, Italian Connection, Chip Parton, The Big Racket, Almost Human, The Tough Ones, Rabid Dogs, Revolver, Cult 38, Special Squad. 
the Italian connection, uh, syndicate sadist, and I guess what have they done to your daughters kind of counts too. David Zalvella, the Italian connection, live like a cop, die like a man, shoot first, die later, caliber nine, the boss. Hans Vaughn, live like a cop, die like a man. Mark Humphrey, street law, brilliant performance by Franco Nero. And I want to read this um, just because Mystagog had put a lot of effort into this. Some more information. Let me get these other information ones first. Zach Nolan went to see The Exorcist 3 in the cinema back in 1990. The hospital hallway part made my two friends and I jump out of our seats. Mia Horshow, this is the awkwardest video ever you ever made and you pull it off. Uh, maybe one day I'll watch the game movie you mentioned if I get curious to watch it. Ilk Vomit, Goodbye Horse Scene with Buffalo Bill is a classic for sure, but ever since Grand Theft Auto 4 came out in 2004, whenever I hear that song, it takes me back to cruising under the night light in Liberty City. That's the same thing with, um, um, the K, uh, the Brannigans, Lord Brannigan. Ah, live among the creatures of the... That song was on the radio in one of those games and it always stuck in my head because of it. Jarno Heronin, there was supposed to be more violence and female nudity in Chara, but the script was changed in the last minute. Flaming Star is another good Elvis Western. So, um, basically, um, Mr. Gog's statement here is pretty long, so bear with me. He says, hi, Mr. Parker, this is going to be a little long. I'd say I'd like just like to say that I'm one of your patron supporters that always loved your channel. Over the last couple of years, you've really gone gangbusters in diversifying the sheer amount of movies you cover. Your channel is pretty content rich, like probably most of your fans. I'm just like everyone else. I love horror, exploitation, grindhouse, cool sci-fi, creature movies, and on and on. However, I do appreciate your periodic forays into some of the movie fringe genres and movie oddities like that labels like Vinegar Syndrome or Seven Release, like when you covered Blue Movie and Knife Plus Heart. I'm a middle-aged gay guy, so of course, through my life, I've had an interest in gay cinema. Now, mind you, true gay-focused slash theme movies were not always available in video stores. And it wasn't until the late 90s, 2000s, that you started to have a boom in gay theme filmmaking and actual popular gay films reaching the public. But most of these films kind of acted like the education for the masses. Films like Milk, In-N-Out, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Philadelphia, Tu Wong Fu, a lot of coming-out films, AIDS-focused films, and gays are just like everyone else kind of plots. So basically, very mainstream. Now compare that to Cruising, or Knife Plus Heart, or Wild Boys. These are great picks that suffered stuffed with weirdness, arty trappings, and style. I'm well-versed in gay cinema and more obscure titles from the past, like Pink Narcissus and Flaming Creatures. So imagine my surprise when you pulled up a new Blu-ray release of Equation of an Unknown, a film I had never heard of. So comically, when you ask yourself the self-reflective question to your viewers to as why a straight guy like yourself would take a couple hours of his life to review an obscure explicit gay movie for 40 years ago. I have your answer. You did it for someone like me. Because seriously, I just ordered the movie on Amazon because you reviewed it. Even with shopping algorithms online, I don't think I ever would have come across this release of my own. So once again, your channel has thrown me anew on her title. But it's far more special to me because its content would specifically resonate with a gay viewer. I love your non-judgmental approach to material on your channel, and I certainly want you to stay in your wheelhouse and review the same things you've always focused on. All the cool, badass, horror, sci-fi, culty action, exploitation films out there from all decades. But if you're wondering if reviewing an obscure gay flick was appreciated by any of your viewers, it was. I took one look at the trailer and its weird music and for long, hot guys, and I was sold, so thanks. Um, I don't care, you know. I watch all sorts of weird stuff. I watched a Mondo movie, a gay porno, a fighting movie, a boxing, singing movie. I'll watch anything, okay? I'm that kind of guy at this point, Mr. Parker. So, um... Yeah, I, I like to watch all sorts of different things. And that's that's one thing, like, I try not to be judgmental on anything because this channel is not to be, like, there's so many channels or people out there, and I don't want to say this is negative towards them, but they focus on one thing or they get tunnel vision on third. I do have my tunnel vision, like my zombies or my, you know, my, my certain kind of style westerns or, or whatever, or, like, creature features. But they get tunnel vision on certain, like, things or their channel becomes their own ideology. 
And if a movie comes up and it's ultra conservative or ultra liberal, or it says something really weird or twisted, and I feel like it uh, has a political agenda, I will mention maybe that it has a political agenda. I won't mention how I particularly feel about said political agenda because, you know, it doesn't really fucking matter. The movie is what matters pertaining to that. You know what I mean? Like, I try not to bring up those things unless it pertains to the movie because I'm here to talk about movies and how it relates to cinema. Um, now, I, everybody has their own views and their own personal life of things and everything like that. And I don't really get very personal on a lot of things about my life because... It's really not about that on this channel or anything like that. And the whole idea that like people being like, I, I won't watch anything with like gay or or certain things that bother me in movies is like, I don't, or, or they're not interested in that. Like I'm interested in all cinema, you know, and how it pertains to certain things. There's some genres that I, I would not really be interested in so much. And a lot of that comes to like musicals just because I don't really know much about them, like old musicals now and other things like that. Like when it comes to like sexual content in movies, like pornos, gay, straight, whatever, it's, I don't usually cover them because I feel like I don't have much to say about them. But something like the equation to the unknown, I feel like it was directly related to Knife Plus Heart. And I feel like that movie has some interesting qualities about it just from the trailer and how it pertains to Knife Plus Heart and other things like that. Normally, I wouldn't cover any uh, porno films. Not that I'm against it, just because I feel like what I have to say is not really anything worth listening to. Maybe some people disagree. I think most people would agree with that. But I think with Equation to the Unknown, I think that some of that stuff would directly correlate with Cruising, which is a movie that interests me because it has like a supernatural aspect and it has some weird things about it and statements maybe about homosexualities that a lot of other mainstream movies wouldn't. As far as, um, like you're saying, like the mainstream homosexual movies, like it does get very annoying with movies where they'll be like, hey, we're going to portray every gay person as this like cheery, happy, fun. I, it's like, or, like, they'll portray all the same... It's like, I'd like to see some real characters. Like, some diversity within those characters. Or differences of light. You know, people are gray. Like, the most interesting characters in movies sometimes are people that are not necessarily good nor bad. They're just there, and they, they have to deal with certain things. And they have these, these things to overcome. Like, if a movie constantly... I remember there was a backlash, like, on basically all the characters for a while. Like, the homosexual characters in old movies were always portrayed as evil. And I was like... I kind of always love those characters. Those characters usually are my favorite characters in the movie. Like if you look at the character from Fire and Ice, like he's very, you know, a lot of like people be like, oh, that's a lot of gay stereotypes into that at the time, but he's the best character in the movie. He's awesome. He's, he's awesome in the movie and, and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know. It's just weird that what people get hung up on or upset about, like cruising, people are like, well, this is so anti-gay or this is, it's like, I don't really see that with cruising. Like I never, ever watched that movie and thought, oh, I'm glad those gay people are getting killed. I literally was like, man, that that's, I feel bad for the gay people people and then you have like people that are like uh, Mike Starr and Joe Spinell in that movie taking advantage of them at the same time like anybody that doesn't really have sympathy with the gay people in that movie has probably some problems um, uh, or some hatred that they should get over but then at the same time there is a weird element of maybe the idea of cruising could be dangerous or, or there's like this weird kind of supernatural element, maybe going from killer to killer that it's, it's just a weird, interesting movie that I think people could look at and be mad about, but I think they're kind of missing the point. Like, I don't think that William Friedkin was ever a hateful person in his films. So, um, but yeah, anyways, uh, that just movie, it definitely had some interesting things to it. And, uh, like watching things like that, like any kind of like sexual content in movies usually doesn't bother me unless somebody's actively like getting hurt for a 
movie or something like that. Like, um, like I said, Bunny Game, where they're actually branding them. I was like, that's a bit much. You know, I, I could go without seeing that. But I know a lot of people are be completely uninterested in certain movies or certain things I have to say. So that's why there's always timestamps. Skip. Like, you know, uh, I understand. Like, you're like, oh, I don't really want to hear Dave talk about Friday the 13th that somebody picked. Part two, because I've seen that movie a million times and a million people talked about it. Or I don't want to hear Dave talk about this Western because I think he sounds like a fucking idiot when he talks about Westerns. But whatever, you know, so that's where there's timestamps. So I'm glad you appreciated it. I really am. And um, I, I, I was, there's something I, I basically wanted to see it myself, you know, but I also wanted to let the audience know that I might sound like a jackass while talking about it. So that was kind of like a little warning there. But anyways, Equation to the Unknown is an interesting movie. Um, there's a lot of subject matter in it that will, people won't watch. And I can understand that and, and stuff like that. There's a lot of people I know that buy the Vinegar Syndrome titles and they avoid all the porn titles. So it's just a, a preference or anything like that. So I need to dive into all my Vinegar Syndrome titles at one point. And uh, I don't know if people would want to see that, you know, like, are, would you guys be interested in me? diving into like the vinegar syndrome porn titles or anything like that i don't know but um anyways let me ask the question of the week or that could be the question of the week but my question of the week since we've been going italian lately who is your favorite or your your favorite or you think the best italian uh actor and actress or you can give me one or both or either or who's the best you know actor and actress or actor whatever so let me know anyways we're gonna uh hop into the update okay let's start this out with the uh kino this is kind of a big update so Kino had a sale. I grabbed Firepower. Fire what am I talking about here? It's got James Colburn, O.J. Simpson, Sophia Loren. So Eli Wallach, uh, it's got a good, nice cast in there. Uh, I think Michael Winter did this one. Never seen this one. It was a good price. Finally the right price. So, uh, yeah, Scorpion. Put this one out. And, oh, jeez, I realize I don't have anywhere to put the uh, after I'm done with them. So then we have Cosmos, which is uh, Zulowski. Uh, how do I say his name? Zulowski film. He did, um, of course, Possession. This is his last movie, I think, before he died. I hear it's pretty good. I hear it's interesting. I'm sure it's crazy, just like um, Possession is. And then we have, I'm not going to bother trying to say the French uh, word here. Um, it's with Jitam Moy Noy. Come on, guys. I bought this. Uh, Joe Del Sandro's in it. I hear it's a pretty interesting one. I think Elric Kane was talking about Pure Cinema. So, uh, yeah. Then what else do we have? We have uh, Hercules and the in the Haunted World. It's Christopher Lee's in there. It's a Bava movie. Couldn't pass this up. I'm gonna buy all Bava's movies when they hit Blu-ray, of course, and probably everything with Christopher Lee in it. So yeah, looks cool. Then we have uh, Attack of the Robots by Jess Franco. This movie looks ridiculous. I don't know if it's like a comedy or or what's going on. Maybe a spy comedy thing. It looks fun. Uh, then we have Neurosis, also by Just Franco, or Revenge of the House of Usher, which, uh, geez, I, I know this has a DVD. I didn't know this was that one. I'm so glad I grabbed this, because this is, isn't this technically part of the Orloff uh, movies? But Howard Vernon, this is one of the only ones that uh, didn't have a Blu-ray release that they had on DVD, so very cool. Then we have uh, Trans Europe Express, which is... Um, this, this director I have heard of, Alan Robblegret, or however you say his name, but I never watched any of his movies. So uh, Redemption put this out. Um, yeah, I definitely want to check out some of his work, hear good things. I know Ken Ellinger is a fan, so. Uh, and then we also have, jeez, uh, I have to read it on the side, Successive Sightings of Pleasure. Sometimes when it's like through the camera lens, you can't really make out exactly what it said. Um, yeah, this is another one that I've always put in the cart five or six times and never never actually pulled the trigger. This time I decided to do it. 
the Kino sales are very good at that, always very reasonably priced. And then we have El Mortel, um, hope I said that right, uh, another one by the director, um, Grillet, maybe it's pronounced Grillet. Somebody, somebody let me know. Uh, French is probably one of the hardest for me to do, so yeah. And then we're out of the Redemption, we're into the Kinos, um, Let's Kill Uncle, which is, um, geez, it's a William Castle flick. You know, there's a lot more William Castle I need to buy and need to see. I do not own all his movies, of course. I've only seen a couple, which is a shame. But they came from Beyond Space. This is a Freddie Francis movie, if I'm not mistaken. Sci-fi movie. Freddie Francis did a bunch of stuff for Hammer. So, And I like my sci-fi, so I figured, why not? Then we have My Bodyguard, which um, basically... Um, Brian Sauer and Pure Cinema has been hyping this movie for years. So I eventually... I, I, every time I want to buy it, it's not on sale. This time it was on sale. So, yes, I finally have My Bodyguard. Then we have one by, I believe it's Bob Clark, isn't this one? The Murder by Decree, Christopher Plummer, James Mason, David Hemming, Susan Clark. Oh, that's a that's very Donald Sutherland. Very good cast in this one. Murder by Decree, is it the Bob Clark one? I can't remember. Again, reading, yeah, Bob Clark. So I'm really interested in checking this one out. Sherlock Holmes story, if I'm not mistaken. And then we have... The Flesh and the Fiends with Peter Cushing and Donald Pleasance in this one as well. Awesome. Burke and Hare story. I love that story anyways in and, and movies usually. Then we have Spaced Invaders. Have not watched this since I was a kid. Royal Dano's in this. I bet he plays a drunk. I have not watched this movie since I was a kid. I, I, I look forward to watching it, but I remember I tried to watch it Maybe when I was later, maybe I was a teenager, I tried to rewatch at 15, and I was like, I used to like this. What was what was wrong with me? So um, I'm sure that I maybe have some appreciation for it still. I hope so. And then we have um, Ten Little Indians, Agatha Christie, Donald Pleasance, uh, Brenda Vicardo, who's in Death Weekend, Frank Stallone, Herbert Lom, and Paul Smith. So uh, this should be fun. I love Donald Pleasance. I'll watch almost anything with Donald Pleasance, to be honest. Um, and Herbert Lom. So then we have Wild Women. Don't know much about this. Love my Western, so good price on it. Why not? And last of the Kinos, we have In Search of Dracula. Christopher Lee believed the unbelievable. There was really a Dracula. Uh, yeah, so it's narrated by Christopher Lee. And uh, is there a better guy to talk about Count Dracula than Christopher Lee? So then we have some more DVDs. I meant Blu-rays. I screwed up. I, I'm part of the Disney uh, thing, and every once in a great while I'll forget to turn down their offer because I'm usually I'm, I'm really just waiting for them to release something wicked this way comes so I can buy it, and 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 some other like kind of live action old movies. But Fernanda, oh, Fernanda, oh geez, why do I am having trouble saying this? Fernand, Fernand, like I want to say Fernando, but it's not. So um, yeah, I don't know what this is. This looks like a kid's movie. Definitely probably going to give it away to my nieces or nephews. And this is another one. The Spies in Disguise. Both of them. Definitely going to give these away to my nieces and nephews. It's like, Disney's not even giving you Disney movies. They're just giving you a 20th Century Fox. <laughs> I know they own Fox, but still, they're like, just giving you those now. And then we have Jaws The Revenge. Um, a ridiculous movie. I've not watched it since I was a kid or since it popped up on TV. But as a whole, I have not watched it in a long time. I have the other Jaws ones, so i got to have Jaws of Revenge on Blu-ray, I guess. 
Then we have Congo. I have not watched Congo in like 10 years, maybe 15. I always like this movie. I know it's like a B movie and people laugh at it, but it's fun, man. Those hippopotamuses are terrifying, by the way. And then we have The Graveyard Shift from uh, Scream Factory. I love this movie. I saw this movie when I was a kid, and I always loved it. Um, Stephen Mach in this movie. Brad Dorff's really great, too. But Stephen Mach in that movie is so good. He's like, Stevens is down there now. And he's pissing and moaning. He's stringing up lights. It's gonna get. It's hot. It's going to get hotter. I just love him in this movie. This is one of my favorites uh, of Stephen King's. It's one of my favorite horror movies, to be honest. I know it's not beloved by everyone, but I really like it. Then we have St. Jack. Good price on this, finally. Peter Bodanovich from um, Scorpion. Um, it was on Hamilton Books for 10 bucks. It's usually like 30 so I grabbed it. Then we have The Final Member from um, Draft House Films. Not seen this. They had a bunch of Draft House on there, dirt cheap. I was interested. And then this one looked kind of fun. Dr. Horrible's Sing Along Blog, a Josh Whedon film. I don't know much about it, but uh, Neil Patrick Harris, Nathan Fillon, Felicia Day. So it can't be bad. It, it's probably pretty fun. So, yeah. Then we have Frankenstein. And I wanted to check this one out. It had Tony Todd in it, Danny Houston. And uh, because who did this one? It was um, Bernard Rose, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, so this is... I heard good things about this one, but not many people talked about it. Good price on Hamilton Books. And then we have my Severin finally came in. Enigma, the Fulci one. Yeah, that's right. Killer Snails. This one always reminded me of Fulci wanted to direct a Dario movie. But, uh, yeah. And then we have Demonia, which, surprisingly, I've never seen this one. This is one of the uh, big Fulcis I never watched. So, yeah. Nice slipcovers on these. Then we have The Beast Must Die, the re-release from uh, Severin. You see my reflection in there. Um, this is the Amicus movie, of course. And then we have Just Franco's Shining Sex. Um, not Don't know much about this one. Uh, Lena Rome is in it, who's in, like, hundreds of his movies. And then last, we have, uh, I pronunciation saying this, Baja Blanca, which must mean white uh, on the end. Um, but, yeah, um, this one I hear is pretty good, or pretty interesting, at the very least. A Grand Tragedy of Love, Jealousy, and Passion. One of the rarest Francos of all, now restored for the first time. Cool, cool. And then we have some DVDs. Frankie and His Pals. Uh, yeah, this looks crazy from Intervision. This is the one everybody was so mad about not being able to get. But uh, yeah, from the deepest, darkest depths, the shot on video vaults, hidden from view for 30 years, all your favorite movie monsters are back. And they're ready to party like it's 1990. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I might have to watch this. Frankie, Drek, Wolfie, Mommy, and Humper, the horny hunchback. <laughs> oh my god, oh, this is ridiculous. Humpy, the horny hunchback. And then the last DVD, um, Bloody Movie, which I thought I had, and I might have, and I accidentally sold it because I thought this got released on Blu-ray, but uh, it did, so now I have it. Maybe I, John Ireland's in this, although Ray, who else? Oh my god, this is the most... Dude, Alan Hale, I just talked about him in frickin' A Giant Spider Invasion. This must see the faded stars die a horrible death. Look at all these guys. John Ireland, Aldo Ray, Alan Hale, Dan Haggerty, and Cameron Mitchell. Oh my god. What was the alcohol fucking... Uh, budget on set but i might have to watch that one too but anyways uh back to the video guys okay guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one mm.